Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 370. Welcome in. Uh, I got a haircut. This is the last episode, by the way, I will ever do in this room, which is pretty wild. Uh, it's a massive episode. We're going to talk about Aaron Rodgers. We're going to talk about college football. There's seismic changes going on in college football. Got a very, very exciting Ask Zach segment. Got a question from Menko about starting a new life and starting a new career and kind of that transition and taking the leap that I think is really good and really, I think, interesting and important for people to hear. We're talking about the NBA today, Major League Baseball. There's literally so much. I mean, an hour from now, less than an hour, uh, 45 minutes from now, I'm interviewing a coach who is like a legendary high school coach, won multiple state championships, dominated, and is now a quarterback coach at a Division I college football team. So if if that goes well and there's minimal editing, basically I don't really edit anything, but if like the audio is synced up and it's easy to like put together quickly, that'll even go into this episode. This could be a... I hope it's not three hours. It, there's no way it will be, but it could be like a two-hour, two, 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 two and a half-hour episode. Really long, really full of stuff. I'm very excited. I want to jump in. I don't want to waste any more time. Are you ready? I'm so excited. Um, Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers is back after a whole offseason of speculating. Would he get traded? Is he going to hold out? Maybe will he retire? The tension built and built and built and... Wow, 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 nothing. Like, nothing happened. It's kind of unbelievable. Um, and it's not unbelievable, but honestly, I guess the way to put it is that the, the least exciting outcome we could have possibly gotten is what happened. He just kind of showed up for training camp. Aaron Rodgers was back. And you're like, oh, okay. Now, on Wednesday, July 28th, literally a week ago from today, he gave a really big press conference. And I want to break down what he said. Uh, now, I do want to say, like, I... I took my time in covering this, and I'm glad I did. Uh, a lot of people who have a job similar to me all are, like race to be first, and you know they want to be the the very first person to cover it the very next day. And to me, it's really important to be thoughtful, take my time, get all the information I possibly can. And I, I never want to be the guy who just has a knee jerk reaction if I if I can avoid that. And it's been really great in the last week. Even more information has come out. Uh, the Packers GM, Brian Gutekunst, has come out multiple times and responded to things Aaron Rodgers has said, which is very interesting and valuable. So I guess here's what Aaron came out and said. He gave a 30-minute press conference. And it's interesting. He's very, very careful with his wording. He even had notes he was reading. Like, he wanted to get stuff right, was very intentional with everything he said. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. And honestly, it felt like he kind of waited all offseason, said very little, just listened to all the criticism, all the media stuff. And he was kind of very shrewd and tactical in the way he made statements addressing every little bit of criticism. Like he poked holes in everything he possibly could. And I think shrewd is a great word for it. Just very smart, very calculated. For example, he said multiple times, and I actually like this. It's honest. It's true. He said, you know, I'm not a victim. I've been paid a ton of money by this organization. Like, that's, I'm very fortunate. Like, I I appreciated that. I, I appreciated it. But it's also, that's a very intentional statement to say, like, hey, I said it. Therefore, you can't say I'm a, I'm be playing the victim because I said I'm not. It's He's so intentional with his words. And it's smart. It's good. It makes it hard to criticize him, which is really, uh, that that feels calculated and intentional. 
Now, Aaron said the main problem he has with the Green Bay Packers is that he's upset that he was not a bigger part of free agent conversations. He said he has never been a part of free agency and a part of recruiting people, and he wanted to be used as a recruiting tool. He said, people come to Green Bay to play with me. He made a reference to like Green Bay is not a vacation destination. Pretty clear. Guys want to play with me, Aaron Rodgers. And I am why we have a chance to win a Super Bowl every year. And he said he feels like he's earned the right for more input. And he said he doesn't feel important or respected based on the way the Packers have treated him. And, man, there's a lot to break down there. And there, that's, there's already a lot. There's, I've only shared a part of his frustrations. We will get into way more down the road. Uh, I'm going to try to address everything I can, all of Aaron Rodgers' frustrations. But I, I first want to talk about Aaron Rodgers' desire to be included in free agency discussions. And I, I want to say I totally understand where he's coming from. He said, I'd like to have more control over things that directly impact my career. And I'm like, yeah. I mean, that if you're Aaron Rodgers and you're like, hey, I want to win another Super Bowl. I want to do well. I want to win more MVPs. I want to play with good people. And that may, I, I get it. Makes total sense. He even said, like, I want to have, you know, more control over things that directly impact the end of my career. And I'm like, yeah, like I, again, of course, like Tom Brady's out there trying to get as many good players as he can. So, of course, Aaron Rodgers want to do that, too. Like, if you're a, a veteran player, you can feel you're, you're aging a little bit. Like, hey, I want to end well and do good. And so Aaron wants power. He wants to build his own team. Basically, he wants to be like LeBron James with the L.A. Lakers. We see LeBron James in NBA free agency right now bringing in all his friends, paying as many people as he can. Carmelo Anthony, Russell Westbrook, getting him traded in. Like, all of his buddies are coming to L.A. to play basketball with him. Basically, it sounds like that's what Aaron Rodgers also wants. And on top of that, Aaron claimed that the Packers do not treat players very well when they leave the team. When a guy is not brought back in free agency— and he listed 12 veterans, by the way, who left at some point during Aaron's career. He, he said he listed Charles Woodson, Julius Peppers, Jordy Nelson, Clay Matthews, Randall Cobb, James Jones, John Kuhn, Brett Goo, TJ Lang, Brian Balaga, Casey Hayward, Micah Hyde. Like 12 dudes who he felt like, he said, quote, they were exceptional players for us, many who were not offered a contract by Green Bay at all, or they were extremely low-balled, and he said they were not given the respect that players of their status deserved. And then Aaron also called them high character guys who were core to their locker room. First of all, uh, Aaron makes bucket loads of money. And to be frank, like when you pay your quarterback a ton of money, you have less money to spend in free agency and on veterans. If you pay your quarterback a massive percentage of your salary cap, you're going to have to play with not as good of players and you're going to have to you know, pay rookies and young players instead of veterans because rookie contracts are just cheaper in today's NFL. And it's a bit, I mean, Aaron never took a pay cut. There's never any moment in Aaron's career where he said, I'll take less money to win. And we've seen, you know, the direct comparison has to be Tom Brady, who's done that multiple times. And it just feels a bit rich for a guy to say, we, why didn't you bring back my friends and, and frankly overpay aging veterans when he's taking a massive amount of the salary cap, it just feels weird. Like, you can't have both. And that's, I want to say that it feels wrong to me, but I'm getting distracted from the point. I want to talk about Aaron having influence in free agency because there's a big disconnect or a big misunderstanding that I think Aaron and many people in the public have. Everybody, including Aaron, talks about respect. 
And I think Aaron's massive contract is an example of him getting a lot of respect from the Green Bay Packers. Hey, we respect what you do. We respect how talented you are. We are going to reward your success, what you've done on the field, your ability with a lot of money. Now, if you want to have influence in free agency, you need to build relationship. Have you ever gotten advice from somebody who didn't earn the right to give you advice and you feel like you're being talked down to or scolded or having someone give you orders? I've had people do this to me where I'm like, dude, I, who are you? Like, wh- what, do you, what right do you have to talk to me? And there's a problem with Aaron Rodgers' reasoning, in my opinion, where he thinks respect and influence are the same thing, and they're not. His, his reasoning is like, I performed well, therefore you should respect me. Totally. Yes. You are an MVP caliber quarterback. You've won multiple MVPs. You won a Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers obviously demands respect. But the next one is I performed well. Therefore, you should allow me to influence you. Ah, no, 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 no. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, what if I don't trust you? We, we don't have that kind of relationship. And that it's not just football. It's every aspect of human life. If someone doesn't earn the right relationally, to have influence over you and your decision-making, then they don't get the right to have influence in decision-making. And Aaron literally came out and said in his press conference, yeah, I have a business relationship with the Packers GM, Brian Gutekunst. So they're not buddies. And and that's, again, it's so hard for me not to make a comparison to Tom Brady every time Aaron Rodgers comes up because they're both aging quarterbacks in similar situations where Tom has a lot of power, and, and, and influence over the offense and the system and the players that are brought in. It seems like Aaron doesn't have that same amount of influence. But I also don't think Tom Brady would ever say, yeah, I've got just a business relationship with the Buccaneers general manager. He would probably say, we're friends. I like him. We get along really well. He would, it would come across very differently than a standoffish kind of, yeah, we just work together attitude. And Aaron, as a GM, would have done badly. Like all the players he listed, many of them were washed up. Many of them would have been overpaid if Aaron Rodgers had said, hey, bring back this guy, bring back that guy. Now, the Packers did recently trade for wide receiver Randall Cobb, uh, a slot receiver to be more clear, and that move was made to appease Aaron Rodgers. So the Packers are now paying Randall Cobb $5.25 million this fall. He's 30 years old. And Randall Cobb's last two quarterbacks were Dak Prescott two years ago in 2019, and he had Deshaun Watson throwing him the ball last year in 2020. He had 55 catches in 2019, 38 catches last year in 2020. Oh, and he gets hurt a ton. He's not a guy who's been healthy recently. In fact, Randall Cobb has not played a full season in the NFL since 2015. So he's aging, his production is down, he's injured, but Aaron really wants this guy, so we're going to bring him in. Now, the day after Aaron had his own press conference, the Packers GM, Brian Gutekunst, had his own press conference. And almost immediately, I think literally his first statement or first question answered was about Randall Cobb. And he said, you know, we got Randall Cobb because Aaron wanted him. The message was, if Randall Cobb is terrible, blame Aaron, not me. In fact, he literally said, without Aaron, we would not be pursuing that. So... That, I mean, he's like, hey, look, we're doing everything we can to keep Aaron happy. And if this boat blows up, do not blame me. Because that's the problem with Aaron's demand is he he wants players brought in that fit him. But he also doesn't want to pay for the consequences if those players don't work out. He wants Brian Gutekunst to take the fall. 
Now, here is the big quote that Brian Gutekunst gave. Uh, this is from a Sports Illustrated article written by Albert Breer. It came out on August 2nd. This is the Packers GM, Brian Gutekunst, talking about including Aaron Rodgers in free agency. It's a long quote. He said, first of all, I'd say there's very few of those players, guys who you would include in free agency. You're talking Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. There are very few of those players. The quarterback position, particularly because he's affected by so many things and particularly on your offense. The ones like Aaron and Tom, their input is valuable. How has that piece affected things? That's kind of hard for me to say, but I can understand why they want to have input. So what's your definition of input? Are you listened to? If you're listened to and a different decision is made, do you still feel listened to? Or is it just doing what you want? I think there's a difference there. But I do think those guys have put so much into an organization, you know, played at a high level. I think it's important that they have a bit of a voice. So he's saying, I'm not just going to take orders from Aaron Rodgers. Remember, it's Brian Gutekunst's job to build the Green Bay Packers roster. If the team is bad, guess who gets fired? It's not Aaron Rodgers. It's Brian Gutekunst. He's the one who would take the fall. So if Aaron wants him to overpay veteran players, uh, I, I'm not cool with that. I'm like, I look, I, I don't, we don't have a good relationship. I'm, and I, I personally like, am not willing to take the fall for you wanting me to pay your buddies more money than they're worth and potentially hurting our franchise. Remember, Brian Kudukun's job is not necessarily to help Aaron Rodgers. His job is to do what's best for the Green Bay Packers. And if what's best for the Green Bay Packers isn't what's best for Aaron Rodgers, therein lies a massive problem. I've said many times, there's going to be a day where people have to decide, am I a Green Bay Packers fan or an Aaron Rodgers fan? It appears like we're not quite there yet, but we're heading in that direction. By the way, the Packers have gone to two straight NFC championship games. So I, I look at them, like, the GM's doing a good job. Like how, who in their right mind can possibly say the general manager's the problem? The team simply isn't good enough. Like what general manager in the world gets fired after going to two back-to-back NFC championship games, one game away from a Super Bowl? The whole offseason, I've said the same thing. I'm like, I don't really understand how you can be angry with a guy who's clearly giving you a good enough team to have a ton of success. It's not like they're the Houston Texans or the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Packers are a good football team. Plus, again, th this is the thing you have to remember. Aaron's massive contract is a big hurdle that the general manager has to overcome when you're building a team. After you pay your quarterback a ton of money, you have to like it cobble together and use, it's like a puzzle to, okay, we're paying our quarterback a ton of money. Now, how do we build a team with the rest of our salary cap? Whatever money's left over is used to bring in players to help your quarterback. And I'm sorry, but I think somebody should be defending Brian Gutekunst. Again, it's his job to pick the players, not Aaron Rodgers. So I just, hmm, okay, okay. Now, the other main complaint Aaron Rodgers has is that he feels like the Packers are not committed to him past the 2021 season. Now, look, I, I believe Aaron Rodgers contradicts himself multiple times during this press conference. Like you, you think you can win a Super Bowl, but the GM is bad or, you know, you're mad that you're not bringing back people, but you're paid a ton of money. And one thing he mentioned is that he considered retirement this off season. And that to me is a big red flag because all it does is if you're thinking of quitting, 
then you need to have a backup plan for your quarterback. Actually, what him saying that I consider retirement does, all it does is validate, yeah, Brian Gutekunst did the right thing by drafting Jordan Love, so he had a plan in case Rodgers bailed out early. Yeah, was it controversial to draft a first-round quarterback Jordan Love in 2020? Absolutely. But you got to have a backup plan in case your guy leaves. I just, it's, watching the interview drove me nuts. I'm like, why is no one asking, hey, uh, if you were considering retirement, don't you think it's a good idea to have a team, your team drafting a backup plan in case you leave? No one, the media is so flimsy and afraid of challenging Aaron Rodgers. I'm just watching the interview going like, is no one going to say it? Is no one going to ask this question? I, I, I was surprised by that. And I, I can feel myself now. I sound angry. I'm not. I just, oh, man. I, I, man, I just couldn't believe no one even asked that question or even thought to ask that question. Now, one massive talking point that always comes up is the fact that the Packers never called Aaron Rodgers to warn him, hey, uh, we're thinking of drafting a quarterback. And apparently that phone call never happened. Now, by the way, how do we know the Packers did not call Aaron Rodgers to give him a, a warning call. Aaron, that, that information had to come from Aaron Rodgers because there's no reason the Packers would be like, yeah, we." they wouldn't brag about not calling Aaron. No, clearly a disgruntled Aaron Rodgers allowed that information to get out to the public. And so it's, it's weird. It feels like Aaron talks out of both sides of his mouth occasionally where he's like, I just wanted to keep everything behind closed doors. But also I'm putting out lots of, whether it's him or his agent, Lots of information is coming out from Aaron Rodgers, and he's, it's just like, man, I don't understand. Like, if I don't call you, the only way that everyone knows I didn't call you is if you say, hey, he didn't call me. So here's what the Packers GM, Brian Gutekunst, said about giving Aaron Rodgers a heads up before drafting quarterback Jordan Love. He said, quite frankly, if that was even a possibility, I would have loved to do that. But we didn't go into the draft thinking, hey— We're going to target this and do it. If that was the case, we probably would have done that. That wasn't reality. Would that have changed anything? I don't know if Aaron, with the issues he has, if that's really part of it. But a player like Aaron, in a situation like that, you would have loved to give him a heads up. It's just that the way this thing transpired, that wasn't a possibility. So I've said this all along. Apparently the Packers, and like I I always have said, they didn't plan on drafting Jordan Love. They did not believe Jordan Love was going to fall that far back into the NFL draft where they could get him later in the first round. This wasn't their plan all along, but when they realized they had a shot at Jordan Love, they took their shot and pulled the trigger. And look, when you're on the clock in the NFL draft, you have 10 minutes, a ticking time clock, seven minutes, six minutes, five minutes. You're not going to call Aaron and say, hey, Aaron, I know time is sensitive, and if we don't pick this guy, we've got to come up with something else. Are you okay if we draft Jordan Love? That conversation's not going to happen, again, especially if they have quote, from Aaron, a business relationship, why would you give a guy bad news that you know is only going to make him angry? Because Aaron said when he found out they drafted a quarterback, he was very unhappy. If you're Brian Gutekunst, I'm not really inclined to give a guy, if you call someone and you know they're going to react negatively and you have seven minutes to make the decision and make pull a trigger on it, why would you waste time with a car? It's just, it's not feasible. Now, Back to Brian Gutekunst's press conference. He said two more key things in response to Aaron Rodgers. Aaron listed these 12 veteran players. He said he felt like they were they left the team feeling disrespected. Well, Gutekunst was honest, and I, I really like that he said this. He said, well, most players leave unhappy. That's how the business works. Players always think they can keep playing. 
and they want more money. If you're 33 and you're Clay Matthews, however old he was when you left the team, you're like, yeah, I got another good two two years in me, and I I played for the Packers for a long time. I, I deserve respect. I deserve money for the years of service I gave you. And unfortunately, that's just not how the world and the business of football works. When you say, hey, you're old, and we're not going to pay you as much money as you think you're deserved, of course that's going to make somebody upset. Like, nobody's going to leave that situation and be like, oh, yeah, like I'll sing songy, go, Pat, go. I'm so happy the team doesn't believe I can still play and doesn't want to pay me the money I want. So, again, of course veteran players don't leave incredibly happy. Like, you didn't pay me. <laughs> no one's going to be happy as the player or the employee getting essentially fired by the team you worked for for a long, long time. Oh, and by the way, Aaron said that's who he was talking to this offseason. So apparently Aaron's talking to a bunch of disgruntled former employees. Look, I I personally don't think that really helps you. If you're a person who is already frustrated, you're going to people who are saying the things you want to hear, bad-mouthing the organization you're frustrated with. I mean, that's just my two cents. Plus, again, Aaron's going to be... This is his 17th year in Green Bay. Like, he's, he's been a, a Green Bay Packer for 16 years. Of course people are going to come and go. That's just how the business works. Again, go talk to Tom Brady. How many people came and went during Tom Brady's career with the New England Patriots? It's unbelievable. More, more than Aaron's ever had to deal with in his life. Do you think he was happy when Wes Welker was gone? Like, that's his buddy. But he knew, oh, this guy's washed up. We can't overpay him. And he just listened to the GM Bill Belichick, the head coach as well, and said, I'm going to follow the system, do my thing. So now one thing I really liked about Gutekunst here is he said that we have been listening to Aaron's input. He acknowledged, like, we listen to Aaron, but if we don't do what Aaron wants, again, it's that quote he just gave, that long quote I put on screen. It's like, well, uh, if if you give us input and we don't do exactly what you say and you're mad at us, do you not feel listened to? Because then you're just giving us orders. Now, moving forward, he acknowledged that he wants to do an even better job of explaining why they're doing what they're doing to Aaron Rodgers. And he admits that we could have done a better job of that in the past, explaining our reasoning behind our moves to Aaron Rodgers. And uh, apparently he wasn't doing that. And that makes sense. Like, okay, if I were Aaron Rodgers, I want to at least know why you're getting rid of Jordy Nelson, right? Or Julius Peppers or Charles Woodson. If you're going to make the move, a player I like that I think is valuable for our locker room, and he, he said them, you know, high-character guys who probably preach the gospel of winning that Aaron believes in, he says, look, uh, if you're going to get rid of that guy, at least tell me why. And that, to me, totally makes sense. But again, that's a relational thing. And if you don't have a good relationship with the guy, do you see my problem over and over again? It sounds like they don't have a good relationship. And my honest thought is, is Aaron kind of a prickly guy who's hard to have a relationship with? Based on the little I know, and I'm not going to say much more about it, but that wouldn't shock me. If Aaron wasn't particularly the easiest guy in the world to get along with, ask who Greg Jennings was that the guy who he said they had a really bad interaction as he was leaving the Green Bay Packers. So now I will say this again, watching the press conference, the media, man, they, they just don't ask difficult questions. I'm like, I, ah, uh, um, now the only thing left to say, I guess this year or about this year is how will the Green Bay Packers do this year now that Aaron Rodgers is back? A lot of people think Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are going to do very, very well. I keep seeing a lot of people referencing the last dance when Michael Jordan won a title in his last year with the Chicago Bulls. 
And this could be a last dance scenario. And I think that would be, it would be incredibly fun, interesting, and chaotic if Aaron won a Super Bowl this year with the Green Bay Packers. I would love that. For the record, I think that would be amazing because it would lead to a problem. Like, do they get rid of Aaron Rodgers if they win a Super Bowl? Like, what do you do there? You, you can't get rid of a guy. I would imagine MVP two years ago, Super Bowl this year, you can't get rid of Aaron Rodgers. You probably would have to trade Jordan Love. And that sounds chaotic and wild. I, I, I just think that would be great television and interesting. I want that to happen. So what if he wins and he leaves? Here's the problem. Aaron Rodgers is not Big Ben, and here's what that means. Ben Roethlisberger, the Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback, everybody knows, it's been acknowledged by everybody, he's coming back for one final year before he retires. The Packers, sorry, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers are giving Big Ben, their quarterback, their, Hall of, their future Hall of Fame quarterback, multiple Super Bowl winning quarterback. They're like, hey, Ben, this is it. You've done a great job for our, career, for our franchise. You get one final year. It's kind of his like going away party and, you know, is, is sell, like, what is it, like a victory lap or a victory tour of, hey, I'm Big Ben. I get one final year in the NFL. And for him, it's one final shot in the rest of his life to ever win a Super Bowl. And so you're going to give everything you have. It's, it's kind of like when you're a high school senior and, you know, this is the last time I ever get to play high school football or maybe a college senior in, in the NCAA. This is my last chance ever to wear this jersey. It's truly like your one last ride. But the thing is with Aaron Rodgers that it seems like Aaron wants to play somewhere else next year. The Packers refused to trade him this year because it was too expensive and trading him this offseason didn't make any financial sense. So they said, look, we're not going to do anything. Come back or don't, but it's on you, not us. It was too expensive. But the big belief is that Aaron will be traded likely to the Denver Broncos this next offseason in 2022. And this is not a unique comparison, but it is honest. And I know it's, it's not the most original thing I've ever said, but it, it's just truly what I believe. It's common knowledge that when you give your two-week notice at work that they're checked out. In the back of your mind, you're always thinking about the next step. And I, I'm going to give you insight into my own life. In three days, literally, today is Wednesday, so Thursday, Friday, Saturday. On Saturday, 5.30 in the morning, I'm moving to Hawaii. It's like 2,500 miles. It's a plane flight. It's been an insane logistical thing. It's taken up literal months of my life planning, strategizing, figuring things out. Like, I, my credit cards are maxed out. It's crazy what I'm doing. And I want to ask, like, do you understand how hard it is to live in Portland, Oregon, a place I grew up, but I really have no affinity for, I, I don't really like it's been incredibly difficult to live in Portland, Oregon, when I want to be in Hawaii, and I know that in two months' time, I'll be in Hawaii living near a beach. When you have that on your horizon, it's always on your mind, and it's, I, it's so hard to not look ahead to the next thing. So fundamentally, if Aaron is planning to play somewhere else next year, I believe it's going to affect him negatively this year, and there's just no way around it. I don't know how the Green Bay Packers are going to have a successful amazing year this year. People think they're going to be amazing and have one final ride. And that's a magical, cool story, but I don't quite buy into that. And I also, <laughs> it'll sound like I'm taking a shot at Aaron Rodgers, but it, it's just, it's my job to give you my analysis, to say my opinion. Aaron appears like the kind of guy who likes to point fingers, who hates to take any blame, does not take accountability for anything. He got Mike McCarthy fired. It seemed like there's multiple times like Aaron appears like a guy 
he he when Aaron's mad, he glares at you. It's always the receiver's fault. How dare you suggest Aaron Rodgers did anything wrong? And in fact, Brian Gutekunst, they, they've failed to win a Super Bowl two years in a row. They've been right at the doorstep of a Super Bowl, the NFC Championship game. And Aaron, therefore, because they haven't succeeded, I would imagine, I'm, I'm inferencing here, but it seems like the guy, the person he's chosen to blame for those losses is Brian Gutekunst for not getting him better players, not giving him more input in free agency. The reason why they can't quite get past the hump is not Aaron's fault. It could never be Aaron's fault. It's the general manager's fault. They're always someone that has to be blamed and God forbid Aaron be the one to take accountability and say, it's my fault we lost. So I say that all to, to point out that if anything goes wrong with the Green Bay Packers in a season where I truly believe he's already thinking ahead to his next move, there's no way that goes well. There's no way that he is prepared for things to go poorly and when things go wrong, he's not going to start pointing fingers at this guy and that guy and start in his head thinking about, I cannot wait to be in Denver next year where they're going to give me better receivers, better than these idiots and people that pay attention and people that will follow my bidding and do what I want and follow my literal order. So, man, I, I just do not have a lot of confidence. Things I'm sure he'll do somewhat good. He's an incredibly talented quarterback. They're a good football team. But again, fundamentally, I don't believe you can be a Super Bowl winning quarterback when you're already looking ahead to your next opportunity. And if that is, in, in fact, what's happening, then I have no confidence Aaron Rodgers can win a Super Bowl this year. I Maybe they go 10 and, what, 10 and 7? Is that they're playing 70 games this year? 10 and 7, 11 and 6? I don't know. They'll be good. They're not going to be awful. But I don't think the Green Bay Packers are going to win a Super Bowl this year. And if that does happen, I'll be incredibly, incredibly surprised. Okay. Uh, wow. Jesus. That was a long long opening topic of the show. I told you, it's going to be a long one today. I, I just, I, I've, there's no way around it. It's going to be an incredibly long episode. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to talk about the seismic changes coming to college football. After that, we'll talk about Carson Wentz. Later down the road, we'll talk about the NBA. We'll talk about baseball. Ask Zach. All kinds of really fun stuff is going to be on this episode. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Welcome in. Uh, first of all, hello. It is, what time is it? Thursday, 827. If you listen to the first part of this episode, you know I, I even referenced, hey, it's Wednesday. I recorded that segment Wednesday at 4 a.m. <laughs> After, by the way, an all-nighter. Uh, it, I had to sleep at some point. And I'll be honest, like, so... Let me be very clear, and I, I want to say ahead of time, pardon my French now. I, I'm i just emotionally drained, and I, I don't really have confidence in my ability to have a filter here. So I'm just going to kind of let it rip, and it's going to be very honest. And so brace yourself. If you're really sensitive to cussing, I might do it a couple times, especially in the second half of the show, but especially in this moment right now. I'm going to explain what's going on, uh, and I'm not, I'm not angry. I'm not mad. I'm just – I think I'm – I just need to kind of vent for half a second before we get into sports because I really want to tell the audience what's going on. Let me, let me say it first. The whole episode may not come out until – it sounds like Friday morning. It's Thursday morning now. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just getting overwhelmed with moving stuff. Uh, frankly, like this is where, I, again, I said I have no filter. Moving is kicking my ass. Holy – Dude, it's been – 
And and I, I like I know not a single damn person in the world feels bad for me moving to Hawaii. I get that, right? It's been logistically the hardest thing I've ever dealt with in my life. It's been I'm I'm trying to we're trying to keep a good relationship with my fiance because you're, you're, we're both stressed, we're both tired, we're both moving. Everybody in my life wants to see us because we are about to leave, and I will not be free until football season is over. And I'm not I'm not coming back. I don't I and I, I'm a big introvert. Like if I'm like I'm 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 borderline a workaholic, but I love it, and it's not really work. It's fun. If I had my way, I'd be at my desk every day, all day. Constantly, I love working. That's all I want to do. And it's been really hard during moving to not be able to, like, you have to sometimes say, hey, I got to go take care of this or that or send off the car or like, so yesterday morning, moving just took over my life and it makes total sense. You know, we have tomorrow and then Saturday morning at 530, we're gone. I I got no time left. And so uh, I just wanted to be open with you guys. It's been between moving, trying to see people, trying to again like maintain a good like we're both stressed and having a hard time, and um, I just want to let you know like it's if the show it seems weird, I, I definitely it, it might come out fr- I might come out Friday morning, and so I just I just want patience and time. We're almost done moving. I'm I'm so excited, frankly, to be far away from everybody and just be able to be in my own little world, working at my desk every day. Uh, the interview I mentioned earlier in the show with Coach, um, I interviewed a coach. I'm not going to say his name yet. It was great. It was really long. There's some editing required. We had a massive technical problem in the middle, like 8 a.m. I'm like, ah, come on, why? And uh, I'm just going to make that its own episode. He's a college quarterback er, College quarterback coach, has a ton of wisdom. Um, I don't have much more to say. I want to I jump in because there's some massive stuff in college football I want to talk about. But I want to just – I try to be very honest and open about everything. I've already talked probably too long about it. But I just want to let you know, like, I – oh, your boy Zach is so ready to be done moving. I, I'm also – by the way, one of the things I'm trying to balance is sleeping. Like, I really don't want to – I've pulled so many all-nighters during this moving process. And I always do. And I I'm, I'm really want to make a boundary that when I move to Hawaii, I'm done with all-nighters. Like, it's – hey, if it's midnight – Put it down, go to bed, wake up, finish it in the morning. It's where I really want to have that, but I, I haven't been able to do that at all recently. So um, I uh, I probably sound like I'm complaining. I, I fucking love my job. I, I really, I, I'm not kidding. Like, that's part of my, I'm torn because I, I'm being pulled into, you got to like be an adult and take care of stuff. But my, my, my happy self wants to just make content all the time. <laughs> Uh, like I, I probably should have taken the week off, but I'm like, no, I, there's, I, I want to talk about the big 12 and the sec and Carson Wentz and uh, the Hungarian grand prix. Like, I don't know. I, I, I hope it's clear. I, I get a comment and I'm rambling now, but it's okay. I'm, I'm really, there's a guy named Ben something on YouTube and I don't read a lot of YouTube comments, but I read this, his comments and he's, he's clearly a fan, but he regularly says you're only covering stuff because you feel like you have to, it's just not true. I, I just, I, I talk about what I like and what I care about. I actually have the luxury of not having to cover stuff I don't want to cover. For example, like I got topics down the road about the NBA and about baseball. And it, it was hard to do research and cover them the best way I could. But I do that because I like it, not because I feel obligated to do that. There's not a single thing I cover that I do because I feel obligated to talk about it. I cover everything I cover because it's fun for me and because I can. Anyway, uh, let's jump in. Wow, that was five minutes of me. I'm sorry, complaining. I apologize if, if that's how it came across. That's not my intention. I I needed to, though. I do feel better. So, uh, first of all, I want to say, by the way, throughout this whole process, I love you guys very, very much. I really am grateful. Patreon has been my most stable income now for two years. Uh, I 
the people that do watch and listen, I can't say thank you enough. We're all, I'm so close to being done, and then hopefully we'll have a studio set up. Nothing will be disrupted anymore. Football season's almost here. I could not be more excited. I saw a video of the, Ra- the new Raiders receiver looking amazing on Instagram yesterday. I'm like, I am so effing excited for football. I just cannot wait. Uh, let's jump in. I, I really want to talk about what happened in college football. So the University of Oklahoma and the University of Texas are officially leaving the Big 12 conference to join the SEC. The two colleges, uh, OU and UT Austin, put out a joint statement. They said that they intend to stay with the Big 12 through June 30th, 2025. That's four years from now. And uh, that is that date was put out there because that is when the Big 12's current media rights deal will expire. And uh, Texas President Jay Hartzell said, We plan to honor our current agreement and fairly allow the Big 12 to plan for their future with lots of warning. Like, so what are they? They have to have a plan for what to do without us. We're going to give them time. I don't buy any of it. None of it. But, hey, pardon my French. Bullshit. No way. I, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, your plan, they, the way they talk about stuff, our plan, our this, our that. It's all easily to manipulate. You can easily your plan can be adjusted and changed very easily. We intend to. We plan to stay. Okay, okay. I don't. I don't. I don't think it's gonna happen at all. I think there's too much money on the table. I, I think people get impatient. They want to make stuff happen. I want to make a prediction right now. This fall, 2021, I personally believe it's gonna be the last time we see Texas and Oklahoma play football in the Big 12 ever again. Might be wrong. That's going to be a fun one to revisit in, like, March. But I personally think they're going to leave for the SEC as soon as possible. And, I, again, there's just so much money to be made. Currently, leaving before 2025 because of the contract uh, with the current Big 12 media rights situation, leaving would cost each school 75 to $80 million minimum to leave the Big 12 early. And the only way to avoid the buyout fee, basically, is if the Big 12 completely dissolved. And they, they might, that might happen, too. But here, here's my thought. Okay, pay $80 million to leave the Big 12. Then when you join the SEC, they pay you like $100 million. You, you make money. You pay the difference. Uh, you pay the buyout fee for leaving the Big 12, and you can still make money if you're Texas and Oklahoma. I just keep your eye on that. I think it's very likely Oklahoma and Texas leave the, S- leave the Big 12 far earlier than they are putting out there. So I believe Oklahoma and Texas will be gone much sooner than they're saying. Now, Oklahoma and Texas are the two biggest brands in the Pac-12. That's very obvious. There's a couple big stats that were put out, I think by The Athletic, where they said, hey, 33 of the 38 Big 12 regular season college football games that were nationally televised on ABC or Fox in the year 2018 or 2019, 33 of those 38 nationally televised games were Oklahoma or Texas games. They are the pretty much the only draw to the Big 12. I, I apologize. I'm not, and I know I got a, a buddy out there who, who goes to Iowa State. I'm not trying to watch Iowa State, Kansas. I just don't care. I don't care about TCU. I don't care that much about Baylor. And these are 27 of the 30 most watched games from the Big 12 in that timeline were big, were o- Oklahoma or Texas games. Those two programs are carrying the Big 12. The Big 12 is very, very top-heavy. And so 
I think Oklahoma is going to go to the SEC and be competitive pretty quickly. They're a very competent football program. They're run by Lincoln Riley. They get amazing recruits. They're the SEC is just going to get them even better recruits and give them even more. I, what's the word? Like, I, it's just going to legitimize Oklahoma. So Oklahoma is a juggernaut. Texas football is not like not at all. Since here's I looked up like how has Texas done in the Big Twelve in the last couple of years? Texas is twenty nine and twenty five. Twenty nine wins, twenty five losses in Big Twelve play in the regular season since twenty fourteen. They went five and four in the Big Twelve last year. In the Big Twelve, Baylor, TCU, Kansas, Iowa State in twenty seventeen. Texas went 5 and 4 against the Big 12 in 2016, 3 and 6 in Big 12 play. 2015, Texas went 4 and 5 against the Big 12, 5 and 4 in 2014. Imagine what's going to happen when Texas' schedule changes from playing Texas Tech, Kansas, TCU and Iowa State and then you replace those cupcakes with Florida, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Auburn. They're a big brand. They're not a very good football program. And th- there's just no reality where Texas leaves the SEC. Sorry, where Texas leaves for the SEC. They leave the Big 12. They join the SEC. They have a tougher schedule. There's no reality where Texas goes to the SEC and does even better with their win-loss record. It's not going to happen. Texas and the SEC is just Tennessee football. It's kind of crazy the parallels. They're both toxic programs. They have massive fan bases. They're both orange. And neither program dominates or will dominate in the SEC. Texas is... I'm going to watch them. It'll be fun. I'm really excited to watch Oklahoma and Texas join the SEC. But if I'm a Texas fan, I'm I'm not excited. I'm actually very nervous about what's going to happen. So, again, my first reaction. Oklahoma, Texas, leaving the Big 12, joining the SEC. I thought, I love it. I want to watch that. That sounds awesome. Let's go. I think that's phenomenal. And I I like chaos and I like interesting. And that makes college football even more interesting. After that, though, rumors and reports started coming out. Apparently, the SEC is talking to, I don't know, Ohio State, Michigan. It's been reported that the SEC has contacted Clemson, Florida State as well about joining the SEC. Apparently, the SEC has their sights set on becoming a... 20 team super conference and you're like oh oh boy and that gets the juices flowing even more i'm even more excited about that uh imagine all of the biggest brands in college football converging in one conference they play each other every year they compete for a championship would we even care about the national championship wouldn't it be more about who wins the sec it'd be more interesting it's it's very possible this is the fear it's probably not going to happen but it's very possible the sec says hey screw everybody we're doing our own thing just we're literally going to have our own season our own insular little thing i mean i've even heard the number 24 teams thrown out as the potential number the sec could land on a mega mega super conference again I love it. Imagine Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Georgia, Florida, Florida State, Michigan. It goes on and on and on. Georgia, all of these massive brands all together in one conference playing each other. I watch that in a heartbeat. That, that, that's the thing. I don't have allegiance to anything. I just want to watch good football. That sounds amazing. It sounds kind of like what, you know, the England and, and the Europe kind of 
freaked out when they're super conference or whatever, super league or something. And, and it, I don't know, soccer's crazy and complicated. I don't understand it. But apparently they proposed a massive super league and it fell apart. This feels like that, except it might actually happen. So we know for sure Oklahoma and Texas are going to the SEC. Then maybe also Michigan, Ohio State, Clemson, and or Florida State could join them in that conference. So the question is, if that happens, or if even some of that happens, what's going to be the result for the rest of college football? You still have the other Power 5 conferences, the Pac-12, the Big 12, the Big 10, the ACC, the Atlantic Coast Conference. Let me say it right now, uh, and I... Not a prediction, it's just what I believe, I guess it is, it's what I believe is going to happen. I believe the Big 12 is going to completely die. The Big 12 currently, without Oklahoma and Texas, has eight teams. You can't really have the Big 12 with eight teams. It's already weird they only have ten. Now I would tell you, here's what you got to keep your eye on. This is the movement you need to watch. Keep your eye on Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, and West Virginia. What do they do? If I was running any of those programs, I would not just sit on my thumbs and wait like a victim, waiting to see what happens to you. I'm a man of action. I don't like letting other people dictate what happens to me. I'm saying, hey, I'm going to make a counter. I'm going to make something happen. I'm not waiting for the conference to die. If I am West Virginia, I don't care about the Big 12. My priorities my livelihood is more important than the Big 12 conference itself. And I believe we're about to see dominoes and musical chairs. Screw the Big 12. You need to worry about your own self-interest. If Texas State, uh, sorry, Texas Tech, Texas, Texas State, I don't know where they came from. Oklahoma State, that's why, you know, if Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, and or West Virginia bail, any one of those, but if especially if multiple schools bail from the Big 12, it's over. It's not going to stay together. The Big 12 is going to fail. If I'm West Virginia, you're already a bit geographically isolated from the rest of the Big 12. I'm like, hey, uh, hey, Big 10, we, we share a border with Ohio. You might lose Ohio State. Can we, can we jump in? Can we take your place? Geographically, West Virginia is actually closer to Big 10 schools than they are compared to down south in Texas. West Virginia, again, they border Ohio. They're actually very – they're kind of – are they, they're like this fringe Midwest area. I know it sounds weird, but look at a map. It, it, it blew, my, blew my mind. Uh, and I don't believe that West Virginia would join the ACC because the ACC already has Virginia and Virginia Tech in their conference. Why would you want to compete against your local area? Go to your own thing. Be separate. Be unique. I, I wouldn't. If I were West Virginia, I wouldn't want to join a conference that already had Virginia and Virginia Tech. Look, I, I believe that the Big 12 is going to dissolve disappear, they're gone. I also believe the Pac-12 and the Big Ten are going to grow. They're going to probably have to change their names. It's already weird. I think the Big Ten is more. I think the Big Ten already has 12 schools. 14 even? I I, I lost count. It's crazy. Uh, The Big Ten may lose Michigan and Ohio State. Yes, those are big brands. It's not going to be comfortable. But the Big Ten will be okay. The Big Ten has tons of heritage. I think it's way more sustainable what the Big Ten has left over than what the Big 12 does. They can survive. And if I were Penn State, for example, if, if Ohio State and Michigan left the Big Ten and I'm, I'm running Penn State University in, uh, what is it, Happy Valley Penn State College, whatever it's called, Penn State, I'd be happy to be the new top dog and biggest, most dominant brand in the Big Ten. I'm like, okay, hey, all our competition left. 
Whether even if we're not winning the conference every year, we're still the biggest fan base and biggest, most passionate group of people left in the Big Ten. Happy to dominate that. The other question is what would happen to the ACC without Clemson? Imagine if, if they lose Clemson and Florida State, what do they have left? They have Louisville, Duke, UNC. And when you think of Louisville and Duke and North Carolina, what do you think of? Unfortunately, it's not football. It's basketball. The Big 12, sorry, the ACC, excuse me, is a, is a basketball conference, really, if they lose Clemson and Florida State. Uh, and I, I also believe Miami, similar to Penn State, would stay in the ACC. I know it's getting complicated now. But if Clemson leaves and you are, and so does Florida State, and you're left alone in the ACC, if I'm Miami, I'm like, hey, I'm happy to be the big dominant brand left in the ACC. It might help us. We can win the conference. It'll boost our record. Uh, and as far as national standing, trying to get into the college football playoff, it's actually it makes more sense for Miami to stay put rather than try to join the SEC or something crazy like that. No, hey, dominate your little pond. I'm happy to be the biggest fish in a small pond. That is good in the eyes of college football because if you win your conference and you go undefeated, hey, you're, you're entered into the college football playoff. So here are some teams I want people to pay attention to in college football. Pay attention to Ohio State. Michigan, Clemson, Florida State. Those are, for obvious reasons, they might want to join the SEC. Now, will Miami stay in the ACC? I think they should be the biggest, most dominant name brand there. Will Penn State stay in the Big Ten? I also believe they will. Again, you're happy to have an opportunity to dominate your conference without the top-heavy dominating teams there anymore. Now, keep your eye on West Virginia. Geographically, they are much closer to the Big Ten than the Big 12. And if there's only eight teams left, I would have no reason to have any allegiance left to the Big 12. You got to worry about yourself first. What will Texas Tech and Oklahoma do? Could they also pull out of the Big 12? Again, you got to counter. Don't wait for your fate to be decided by somebody else. Could Cincinnati be elevated from the Big Ten? So to the Big Ten to replace maybe Ohio State. I mean, if Michigan and Ohio State leave, maybe West Virginia and Cincinnati join the Big Ten. Hey, solved. It's not perfect, but you got another another Ohio school. You got West Virginia. I, I think that makes sense to replace them. The people you leave. It's certainly no compensation. They're not as big of football brands, but I think that's possible and could happen. Houston could join a Power Five conference. They are quietly one of the biggest colleges in America. Keep your eye on Houston. They could elevate. Now, if I was the Pac-12, I want to, this is interesting to me. If I was the Pac-12 commissioner, there are four schools in particular I would target and try to poach and make join, join I, I would try to convince them to join my conference. Number one is Notre Dame. Notre Dame makes so much sense. Uh, not gonna, not having a conference, being independent, is eventually going to hurt Notre Dame. It hasn't seemed to do it quite yet. It almost did during COVID because they couldn't fill out a schedule. They had to temporarily basically join the ACC. Now, traditionally, Notre Dame plays USC and Stanford every single year, except for last year because of COVID. And Notre Dame talks really big. I have a buddy. I hated him in high school. Uh, he was a rival quarterback. I felt like he got kind of had a silver spoon, right? Got handed a lot of stuff. Uh, he went to Notre Dame, and he talks so big. He is so the, Notre Dame really, really loves the smell of their own farts. They really think they're awesome. 
And so if they think they're this dominant college football program, prove it. Join the Pac-12. If you dominate the Pac-12, they, and they certainly act like they would, if Notre Dame joined the Pac-12 and dominated, that'd be good for them. So prove it. Prove that you're this big dominant brand. Join the Pac-12. Go undefeated. If that's what you say you would do anyway, great. You'll be, you'll be in the college football playoff every single year. Now, the second team I would target if I was the Pac-12 is actually Hawaii. I know it's weird. It's not just because I'm moving there. Hawaii is in the process of not only building a new stadium. Hawaii is unique because it's one of the schools that could join the Pac-12 and instantly be elevated to a bigger brand. Hawaii has two big problems in recruiting. One, they lack money. And two, is that the problem is that playing for Hawaii football does not get viewed as a pathway to the NFL. Now, imagine if you played a Pac-12 schedule and you had more money, you had better facilities, and, hey, you're playing a tougher schedule. And it's pretty clear, you can go from Hawaii football to the NFL. You're playing better competition. Think of how many recruits Hawaii loses every year to bigger programs. I just think two come to mind immediately. Three, Marcus Mariota. Two, Otungavaloa. Monty Teo. Like, over, we see so many guys throughout college football from Hawaii not playing in Hawaii. Part of that is because a lot of guys, and I have a lot of friends who grew up in Hawaii, I get it. They want to leave the islands. They, they lived there their whole life. I'm leaving where I grew up. I, I understand the desire to leave where you are. But a lot of guys might stay if they knew they could stay on Hawaii and have a legitimate shot at the NFL. Right now, they're a Mountain West school. It's not going to happen. But in the Pac-12, it's an easier sell in recruiting. Hey, we're playing Cal, Stanford, USC, Utah, Oregon. We have better facilities, more money. The campus sells itself. The, the on-campus living experience in Hawaii is easy to sell the recruits. You get, you'd get good recruits from Washington who want to get away from the rain. So if you had Hawaii as a desirable recruiting location because of a Pac-12 conference schedule and more money from a Pac-12 media deal, that's awesome. And also, there's a ton of money to be made. Hawaiians are all over the country, and they're very loyal. If their program was on a bigger stage, the Hawaiian people, I think, would step up. I, I, I've got many friends. All, all, I have so many friends from Hawaii, and they, they have gear. It, it reminds me they're, they're loyal. They're loyal to their program. Plus, here's another thought, and I don't know if they would want people to do this, but Pac-12 fans would be happy to go pl- watch games in Hawaii. Take a flight, go to their new stadium, whether it's Washington State. If you're playing a road game in Hawaii, you're there. You're going. And so it's already a destination. I just think it makes a lot of sense. If I were, I see an opportunity if I was a Pac-12 to poach Hawaii, elevate their program, and make a lot of money with them. Number three, I would also pursue, if I were the Pac-12 conference, I would pursue BYU and try to have them join my conference. The better schedule would help legitimize BYU. So that's BYU gets one thing out of joining the Pac-12. They get a legitimized schedule. They no longer would have people saying, well, he didn't play anybody. It's well, like, well, we played an entire Pac-12 schedule. You can't doubt us anymore. Also, the rivalry game between BYU and Utah, which I believe didn't happen last year, I think because it, you know, the Pac-12 didn't let you play out of conference games, non-conference games. That's the word I'm looking for. Imagine the BYU-Utah rivalry game being an official Pac-12 conference game, siphoning some of that money towards the Pac-12. That, that gets a lot of people. And by the way, 
BYU has got a massive fan base, Mormons all over the country. Let's acknowledge what it is. It's a Mormon university. It's a big religion. There's people everywhere. It's another big brand. If I'm the Pac-12, I would be happy to have that brand a part of because of the amount of people, the following, the money behind it. Hey, I would love to have BYU football, the brand, a part of the Pac-12. Let's all make money together. We help you. You legitimize us. We get your fan base as a part of the Pac-12. Number four, I would also target Boise State. This has been talked about for a long time. Boise State, I wish it's probably the least convincing argument I have. I can't think of any clever reason other than it makes sense. It would be interesting. It'd be exciting. I'd love to see that happen. If, if the Pac-12 is looking for teams to join, Boise State would make a lot of sense. They've routine, they're a team that for a long time has felt like they could elevate to a higher level of play, especially during the Chris Peterson era. Unfortunately, that's over. Um, I want to mention one thing. I saw a story out there that apparently the Pac-12 commissioner, George Klievkov, I think is how you say his name, is in talks with the Big 12 commissioner or the Big 12 in general about potentially merging the conferences. I hated that. I totally dismissed it when I saw it. It's just stupid. If the Pac-12 is actually doing that, they're idiots. I really don't know why the Pac-12 would try to merge with the Big 12. I I don't want Kansas football if I'm the the Pac-12. How does that help you? And also, who cares about the Big 12? That's not your problem. It's not your problem to take care of the Big 12. It's your problem, I mean, this is heartless, but to crush your opponents, to poach whatever teams they have that can be valuable to your league, and move on. Let the Big 12 die, steal the teams that you want, and then move on with your life and let Kansas figure out their own destination. Now, the final question in this conversation or, or thing to talk about here is, The SEC is considering that they might add another conference game, a ninth. They have eight current conference games in the SEC you play on their schedule. They might add a ninth game after they add Texas and Oklahoma to their conference. And it's very interesting because, again, currently they play eight conference games. They might add a ninth. When you play four non-conference games right now, you play 12 games in a college football season, eight conference games, four non-conference games. Usually you play crappy non-conference schools like Rice, Citadel, Nichols State. Occasionally you see like an Auburn play, Oregon, but they leave it up to you. And if you want to be an SEC program that plays nothing but freebies during the non-conference schedule, you're very entitled to do that. Now, The SEC conference believes that adding a ninth regular season game will bring in more money. And I I think it's a short-term solution to a long-term problem, potentially. Because they are right. If you have Florida playing Mississippi, that will make more money than Florida playing Rice. Because that's a more interesting, intriguing matchup. A lot of people, when their team plays Rice or Citadel... They pay attention for like the first couple quarters. They went, they're up by 50. They turn it off, move on with their day. It's a Saturday that's not that interesting. So the argument in favor of adding an extra conference game is to say, we can make more money because we have more meaningful games people will want to watch. And that is true. For sure. Absolutely. But I would warn the SEC, you don't want to be like the Pac-12 conference. Every year, the Pac-12 is incredibly competitive. They beat up on each other. Nobody dominates. There's no top dog in the Pac-12. They have like one team with one loss and then they lose to Washington every year. Every year it's like they're doing so good and then one team loses and they lose all their legitimacy. 
And when you have no top team that stands out, and that it probably wouldn't happen in the SEC, but here's my point. Here's where we're going with this. Having teams with a winning record is good. You, you kind of want teams padding their record because it makes them more intriguing later in the year. Beating Rice or Citadel is actually valuable. Is it kind of a waste of a week? A little bit. But it pads an extra number on your win-loss record. Florida playing Georgia is more compelling when both teams have a good record. When Florida's 8-1 and one and Georgia's 7-2, and two, that's way more exciting to watch than it is when Georgia's 5-4 and four and Florida's 4-5 and five or 6-3. and three. It's just not as intriguing. It's, it's when you have teams that are, you know, once you get three losses or more, a college football program becomes less interesting. So, hey, maybe adding an extra conference game will help the SEC get more eyeballs week to week. But then also those big games late in the year will have less meaning if teams do not have as many wins. So consider the value of patenting your team's records. If you're going to make – it's possible. If the SEC has 24 teams, I would just say we're only playing conference games. Screw you guys. We're going to just dominate, do our own thing. You could be insular completely if you're the SEC if you want to be. But keep your eye on that story. What will happen? Will the SEC, in fact, add another conference game? And if they do, what will be the impact – of that. Okay. Uh, let's shift gears to the NFL because a big thing happened in the NFL. That was a very long segment. Ah, it's going really well. It was like a 25 minute segment. Bam. I'm, I'm having a good time. Um, the Indianapolis Colts just had a really big problem take shape. Their quarterback, Carson Wentz, got hurt. He had a foot injury, a piece of bone came loose in his left foot. Uh, doctors say it's likely that injury can be traced all the way back to high school when he seems like he broke his foot a long time ago, didn't realize it never really got fully treated and healed the right way. So Carson Wentz had foot surgery to solve that problem. Now he's going to miss five to eight weeks. And that's not, he's not going to come back week 12. It's five weeks from this point. Now we're a month away from the regular season starting. But by the way, that's a, I got to say, 5 to 12 weeks is a wildly large window of time. So he could be out for a long, long, long time. Two months. Three three months. That's not so many. Yeah, 12 weeks is three months. Um, I don't think there's a ton to be said here, although every time I do say that, I end up talking for like 20 minutes. So I will see. Uh, first of all, it's devastating for the Colts. The next man up at quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts is second-year quarterback, Jacob Eason, he went to college at Georgia, then he transferred and finished his career at the University of Washington. He's talented. He's a very, very talented quarterback. He's also young. He's also raw. But he does have a good coach helping him, Frank Reich. And it's kind of an exciting opportunity. Carson Wentz has been hurt so many times. And what if Jacob Eason does amazing? What if Jacob Eason pulls a surprise Dak Prescott moment and, I mean, the Colts have a great roster. They run the ball well. They got a good coach, good defense. Maybe they can win some games with a young quarterback. That, that's, that's the thing possible, right? Here's the problem. The Colts have a brutal first five games of the year. It's likely they play five playoff teams in a row to start the year. Week one, Jacob Eason plays his childhood hometown team in, in, in Indianapolis. They play Seattle week one. Week two, the Colts play the Rams. Again, in Indianapolis, but it's that 
It's arguably the best defense in the NFL last year. After week two, you could start 0-2 already. You lose to Seattle with a, a, a second-year quarterback he's never played before. You lose to the Rams. Then you have three really tough road games. At Tennessee, remember they upgraded their team a lot. Added Julio Jones. Uh, they've got a, a decent defense, a really good passing game now, and an amazing running back. Then you play at Miami. A great defense. If I have a young quarterback, I'm terrified to play Miami on the road with a guy who's not started any games in the NFL before. Then you play at Baltimore against Lamar Jackson. Suddenly, I cannot wait to see how Jacob Eason does in the preseason. I want to watch that so badly. How does he do? He needs to develop very, very quickly because Seattle, L.A., the Rams, Tennessee, Miami, Baltimore, those are five really good teams. You do not want to start 0-5 if you're the Colts. That is devastating. Now, it's possible the Colts could trade for a quarterback. Uh, they, they need to find an answer to start week one because it looks like Carson Wentz is going to be hurt. And you cannot afford to start the year 0-5 or worse. Week six, they play Houston. That feels like a give-me win. But is it a give-me? I don't know. I, I don't know because Jacob Eason I, I, it's an unknown. By the way, also, star offensive guard Quinton Nelson had a similar foot injury to Carson Wentz. He had surgery as well. They're on a very similar recovery timeline, 5 to 12 weeks. So not only is your quarterback gone, your offensive line isn't at 100% either. Now, my dad, God bless my dad, is all pumped up. He's like, the Colts need to bring in, guess who? Nick Foles. Oh, yeah, Nick Foles to the rescue, just like what happened previously in Philadelphia. It's a hilarious thought. Uh, Nick Foles is currently the third-string quarterback in Chicago behind Andy Dalton and Justin Fields. And Nick Foles has been running his mouth a little bit. He gave a couple big quotes. He said he wants to be traded somewhere that he knows the coaches. He also, like the next day, mentioned Frank Reich specifically and said, hey, I feel better than I did when we went on a Super Bowl run. He's trying to sell himself. Say, hey, come get me. I'll come play. And Nick Foles obviously has a history of filling in for Carson Wentz. It's very interesting. In 2017, he won a Super Bowl in relief of Carson Wentz. Wentz gets hurt during an MVP-type campaign, and they win a Super Bowl without him. And when Nick Foles won a Super Bowl with the Eagles, the offensive coordinator was Frank Reich, who's now the Colts head coach. It makes a lot of sense if you're playing Madden. However, human beings exist and personalities matter and you got to manage people. And even though the coach knows Nick Foles very well, he knows the system, it could work. It probably is actually their best chance to win the first five games of the year. My honest thought is this. If you have any hope at all that Carson Wentz will be your franchise quarterback, then you do not want to trade for Nick Foles because it's an old wound. I am at, Frank Reich and Carson Wentz are pretty close, and I, I imagine at some point they even had a conversation. And I, I'm sure, because he's human, Carson Wentz said, yeah, it hurt a lot when they won a Super Bowl without me and they built a stadium of my backup quarterback. No matter how Christian-y and good you are, that doesn't feel good. <laughs> it does not feel good when people are calling for your job and want your backup quarterback to replace you. You, you can't call that guy in again? That's insane. It seemed in Philly that God and Carson Wentz's head. And look, the Colts head coach pounded the table. He said, go get me Carson Wentz. He said to Chris Ballard, the general manager, go. He, he, he did not say, go get Nick Foles. He said, go get Carson Wentz. There's a reason for that. 
They, they probably could have had an easier time trading for Nick Foles than Carson Wentz, but they didn't. So I, I, don't, I would not trade for Nick Foles if I were the Colts. Another fun thought is maybe the Colts could bring back Phillip Rivers. He was their quarterback last year. He retired, kind of got forced out. He said recently he would come back in the season to a quarterback-needy team if anyone needed him. Again, fun thought, but it's not Madden. It's complicated. There are human emotions involved. Phillip Rivers does know the team. He knows the offense. He played there last year. People know him. He knows all the vocabulary for running the team. He's also a big vocal leader and personality. And if Carson Wentz comes back week five or six, how do you transition leadership from Phillip Rivers to Carson Wentz? That's an impossible task. I don't want that. So the Colts might literally say, we're taking an L for five weeks just to keep the team, you know, under the, if they believe in Carson, you can't mess with it. You just got to take the L. It's hard. It's weird. Now, One, I've said the word weird a lot. This could weirdly help the Indianapolis Colts, Carson Wentz being hurt. Uh, There's a stipulation in the Carson Wentz trade from Philly. Remember, the trade to Philly was conditional. If Carson Wentz plays 75% of the offensive snaps for the Colts this year, or if he plays 70% of the snaps, not 75, but 70, and they they go to the playoffs, then the Colts have to give Philadelphia a first-round pick for Carson Wentz. If he doesn't meet those two requirements, then the Colts only have to give up a second round pick for Carson Wentz. So if Carson doesn't play very much and misses enough time, the Colts could keep their first round pick for 2022 and get Carson Wentz for next year. So maybe, I don't know, is it a year of building for the Colts? Maybe their Super Bowl window does close because they start 0-5 and it's brutal, but they get another first round pick next year. And they can build for 2022. I don't know. I wouldn't. I, the, I, I hate miss. You know, you can never put your plans on pause for a year, but that's an interesting thought. And it does seem like it's going to get really, really close. Week five or six, we're going to go. Like it's going. You. Know, they said in five weeks he played. I don't know how to put this. It just. It sounds like it's going to be within a week of 70 snaps on offense for Carson Wentz. So keep your eye on that if he plays week six through 17 it's just it's going to be really really interesting will philadelphia get a first or second round pick time will tell it's an interesting fun story my final thought on this whole process is this i feel so bad for the colts general manager chris ballard it's unbelievable what happened to this guy he's such an incredible general manager i mean really from his philosophy to how he drafts everything he's done And he's just had insanely bad luck. Remember, he once hired Josh McDaniels to be his head coach, who then pulled out immediately and went back to the New England Patriots. And then Andrew Luck, his franchise quarterback, quit football, (laughs) retired early. Like, you take the job because of Andrew Luck, and then Andrew Luck left. Now, Carson Wentz, the quarterback he just traded for, is out injured with a freak thing. A bone in his foot came loose. And the season could be ruined before it even begins. It's just, I feel so bad for Chris Ballard, a guy who so consistently does his job very well and simply cannot catch a break to save his life. All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. Whenever I turn, we'll talk about NBA free agency. We will talk about baseball, uh, the trade deadline, Formula One, a bunch of other small sports news stories. And later we will do Ask Zach. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope we're doing very, very well. Uh, For this segment, I want to do... It's kind of just an information dump, if I'm honest. There's less 
commentary here and more just raw information. Uh, it's I want to share some stuff I find really interesting and personally exciting. There's a bunch of stuff happening. You have NBA free agency. Uh, the Major League Baseball trade deadline happened like a week ago, week and a half ago, something like that. Uh, and let's just jump in. We're in the midst of NBA free agency. And there are multiple things that stand out that I find interesting and exciting. So I want to talk about them. Uh, number one, let's talk about the L.A. Lakers because what they're doing has grabbed a lot of attention. It's been very polarizing. Uh, they made a bunch of signings. They also made a big trade. The Lakers signed Trevor Reza to a one-year deal. They also signed two one-year deals. They signed Carmelo Anthony, Wayne Ellington, Kent Bazemore, Dwight Howard, and Malik Monk. So their team is older than ever before. And the Lakers even traded for Russell Westbrook. And it sounds like a—oh, oh, by the way, they also signed— uh, Talon Horton Tucker. I've, I've never heard of that person in my entire life. I don't know who he is. I wish I did. I don't. I'm not a huge basketball fan. I, I, I'm a, I don't. I love basketball. I don't follow every single thing. And I, if it was football, I'd probably know the name of this dude, how to say it, where he's from, where he went to college. I don't know this stuff. But he got a three-year, $32 million deal. They also signed Kendrick Nunn to a two-year, $10 million deal. So far, there's only one person I've never heard of. That's that Talon Horton Tucker got a bigger deal than Kendrick Nunn. So must not be terrible. Uh, again, on top of that, the other move they made, they traded for Russell Westbrook, the point guard from Washington. I have seen the Lakers criticized almost unanimously uh, since this happened. And I are the Lakers older? Yes, that's true. I acknowledge that. It also does kind of feel like you have a 2K team in real life now. I mean, I never thought in my life I'd get to see LeBron play with Anthony Davis, Dwight Howard, Carmelo Anthony. Oh, yeah, and Russell Westbrook. I mean, it, is it a terrible thought? Yeah, they probably still need a shooter. They're they're way older, and they were already too old last year. But I, I want to say this because I think, I think a lot of people are missing this point because I watch sports because I want to have fun. I want to escape. I want to get—I want to enjoy my life. And are the Lakers going to win a title? I don't know, and I don't care. But it sounds chaotic and interesting. I'm, I'm excited to watch that. Like, doesn't that have value? I don't. I don't know if they're going to win a championship, but I know LeBron doesn't want to play with young players. He brought in his buddies, and if LeBron's going to win another title, why not do it? This I, I. I just. I don't know. I don't know what else. You weren't going to be able to trade for Damian. Like, yeah, if the Lakers got Damian Lillard. They'd be probably the favorite, and they probably still are the best team in the NBA. Will it hold up through January through? You know, February, March, the playoffs. I don't know. Guys might get hurt. LeBron got hurt last year. But I, I just want to say, I, I think this part is being undervalued. And I, again, they may not win a title. They probably won't. But the, in the meantime, it's going to be a ton of fun to watch the LA Lakers next year. LeBron, Russell Westbrook, Russell Westbrook. Man, I don't know. Anthony Davis, Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony and LeBron playing on the same team. It'll be interesting. It's just exciting and fun, and I just want that part of the story to be highlighted a little bit more because they might not win a championship, but it certainly does feel like a dream come true to have a team entirely made of 2K13 players <laughs> all put together on one roster in L.A. By the way, Dwight Howard's coming back for a third time to L.A. to, LA to play for the Lakers. He must just love L.A. It's kind of funny. Uh, the Chicago Bulls made a couple of moves. I don't know that it's going to be... I've even seen people hype it up as a big three. I'm like, ah, is Zach Levine 
DeMar DeRozan and Lonzo Ball really a big three, but they did sign Lonzo Ball to a four-year deal worth $85 million. I mean, could that have been a five-year deal, $100 million? That would have been kind of cool for the, the Lonzo Ball brand. Uh, the Bulls also signed DeMar DeRozan to a three-year $85 million deal as well. And Alex Caruso, the former role player for the Lakers, to a four-year $37 million deal. Uh, so Alex Caruso and Lonzo Ball get teamed up again in Chicago. Again, probably not a team that's going to be like winning a lot of games as far as title contending. But that's going to be interesting. I, I think I, I just want to see how that plays out. I really like DeMar DeRozan. I think he's slightly undervalued. And uh, it'll be cool to see that happen. The Miami Heat made a number of moves. They gave Jimmy Butler a max contract. They gave Kyle Lowry a three-year, $90 million deal. They also gave Duncan Robinson a five-year, $90 million deal. And the Miami Heat signed the kind of one of the defensive heroes from the NBA Finals, P.J. Tucker, a guy who, me personally rooting for the Phoenix Suns, hated P.J. Tucker because he was so physical and dominant on defense uh, guarding Devin Booker. Uh, they signed P.J. Tucker, the Heat did, to a two-year $15 million deal. So much money I just listed, $85 million. Like $15 million, I can't even imagine what I would do. And that feels like such a low number and a low amount of money when you're comparing all the other contracts I just said in a row. Uh, the Phoenix Suns made a couple of moves as well. They signed Chris Paul to a four-year deal worth up to $120 million. They also signed Cameron Payne to a three-year $19 million contract. Good for him. And JaVale McGee got a one-year $5 million deal with Phoenix. Um, it's interesting. I kind of sad. I wish Chris Paul had taken less money so that they could bring in another big— I mean, could they have added, like, a DeMar DeRozan type or something? If I, I don't know. If I were Chris Paul, I'd say I've made so much money in my career, I want to win a championship, especially not winning last year. Kind of sad that didn't happen. Uh, the Toronto Raptors gave underrated player Gary Trent Jr. a three-year $54 million deal. He really— developed and grew a lot in Portland when I watched him. Uh, good for the Raptors. Uh, Jared Allen signed a new five-year, $100 million contract extension with the Cleveland Cavaliers. And uh, a couple of max contracts were handed out. Uh, Trey Young signed a massive deal. Trey Young signed a, let me find my notes, a five-year, $207 million max contract extension. Uh, the OKC Thunder also gave Shai Gilgius Alexander, I hate that name, I just call him SGA. SGA signed a five-year max contract, $172 million to Trey Young. Uh, SGA got a big max contract. Steph Curry signed a four-year, $215 million max extension with the Warriors. Again, spewing information. Uh, interesting, Golden State offered and signed Otto Porter to a minimum, uh, like a, a veteran minimum one-year deal. Remember, Otto Porter is a guy who was once on a max contract with Washington. Clearly very talented. I think he also signed for less money than he could have because he simply wants to play in Washington and have a shot at winning a title. Interesting. Otto Porter went to Washington to team up with Steph Curry, and clearly he's like, I don't care about the money. I want to win a title. That's interesting to me. Um, Now, you also have the New York Knicks made the news. Uh, they signed the two point guards. Kind of interesting. They signed Derrick Rose to a three-year, $43 million deal. Where He was actually a big part of why they were competing in the playoffs against Atlanta. He kept them afloat. Uh, the Knicks also signed Kemba Walker, a four-time All-Star, after Kemba did a buyout for $74 million of his contract from Oklahoma City. So he bought out his contract uh, and you know, out of the last two years in OKC to go to New York. I think he's 
I heard it's like his hometown team. Is is he from New York? I don't know, but he wants to play for New York with the Knicks. That's interesting and exciting. I think Kemba Walker's awesome. I really, really enjoy watching Kemba Walker play basketball. Um, teams I'm excited and interested to watch next year. Obviously, the Brooklyn Nets are a team that made some news. I mean, they signed somebody. I don't, it wasn't noteworthy enough to mention. The Brooklyn Nets are a team that I really think could win a title next year if they stay healthy. The L.A. Lakers, the oldest team in the NBA, uh, made with an all-star team from 2013. <laughs> like Eight years ago, they were all relevant. But it'll be interesting to watch. What can the Lakers do? I mean, I, I just... I again, will they win a title? I don't know, but I can't say enough. I'm excited to watch LeBron and Russell Westbrook play together. Uh, the Chicago Bulls are interesting, probably not as competitive as they might think in Chicago, but interesting. Uh, the Bulls have Zach Levine, Lonzo Ball, DeMar DeRozan. The Golden State Warriors are coming back. There's a lot of reasons to care about the NBA for me personally. I'm really excited to see what happens. Okay, uh, let's shift gears to baseball. Now we'll see an information dump from baseball. Because we had the Major League Baseball trade deadline and the Chicago Cubs and the Washington Nationals. You may not care about baseball that much, but it, they drained their roster. The Cubs got rid of one, two, three, four, five, six key players. They just, like, shelled their team. They traded Anthony Rizzo, their first baseman, to the Yankees. The Cubs also traded Chris Bryant, their center fielder, to the Giants. Javier Baez, their shortstop, got sent to New York with the Mets. Craig Kimbrell. The Cubs' closing pitcher got sent to the White Sox. They also sent pitcher Ryan Tapera to the White Sox. And they sent Jock Peterson, their left fielder, to the Atlanta Braves. So the Cubs cleaned house. They're restarting. They got a bunch of prospects and draft picks. They are restarting everything. The Nationals got rid of Max Scherzer, a starting pitcher. He went to the Dodgers. They also sent Trey Turner to the Dodgers, their shortstop. They sent Kyle Schwarber, their left fielder, to the Red Sox. The Nationals also set their closing pitcher, Brad Hand, to the Blue Jays. And so the Nationals just cleared house as well during the trade deadline. Look, I guess if you're going to get rid of some, you might, get, might as well get rid of all of them. Uh, it's it, just devastating. They're, they're really um, they're, they're not doing well this year, but it felt crazy to me the Cubs blew everything up the way they did. Now the playoff picture in Major League Baseball is shaping up. Uh, the White Sox, the Braves, the Yankees, the Blue Jays, the Padres, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, the Giants. They're all teams to pay attention to. Uh, keep your eye on the Padres third baseman, Fernando Tatis Jr. He hurt his shoulder. It's his third time this year going on the 10-day injured list. He might have to have season-ending shoulder surgery. That's a really big blow. To the Padres, if that happens, this playoff push is going to be really fun in Major League Baseball. I think I don't know how closely I will follow it because of football, but I, I'm gonna maybe every week check in what's going on because it's really interesting to me. Now, let me, no, let's move on. Let me drink some water. Now the Yankees traded for two big players. They traded for Anthony Rizzo, the Cubs' first baseman. He's now the first baseman for the Yankees. It's a crazy, massive deal. To have Anthony Rizzo paired up with Aaron Judge in their lineup, unbelievable. They also traded for Joey Gallo, the right fielder from the Texas Rangers. The rich got richer. I want to see if that can help the Yankees make a push down the stretch. They are, I think, third right now in the AL East. Uh, the Braves got a whole new outfield. They traded for Jack Peterson from the Cubs, Adam Duvall from the Marlins, and Eddie Rosario from Cleveland. He's currently hurt on the 10-day Injured list. He's better than their whatever guy. He's batting a 275. The guy they have left is batting 200. At some point, Eddie Rosario will be in the starting lineup for 
the Atlanta Braves. The White Sox got two pitchers. They traded for uh, Craig Kimbrell and Ryan Tapera from the Cubs. The White Sox also traded for Cesar Hernandez from Cleveland. The, again, the rich getting richer. I am excited. Can the White Sox? I the World Series I really want is the White Sox against the Giants or the Dodgers. Either one to be really interesting and really exciting. Uh, Chris Bryant again got sent to the Giants. That's they did not need him. That's unbelievable. The Dodgers made a ton of moves. They are three and a half games back behind the LA. Uh, behind the, the Dodgers, are three and a half games back behind the San Francisco Giants in the NL West. They got two starting pitchers, not one, but two. The Dodgers traded for Danny Duffy from the Royals and Max Scherzer from the Nets. That's crazy. They also got shortstop Trey Turner from the Nationals. So the Dodgers got better. Uh, the Mariners. By the way, I'm gonna cuss. Ready? Okay. I, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say it. Because for like a brief moment, I, I I almost had some hope. My buddy told me, hey, the Mariners are going to be big spenders at the Major League Baseball tread deadline. Bullshit. Fuck the Mariners. I hate I, ah, It makes me so mad. Uh, the Mariners traded closer Kendall Graveman to the Astros. He's a great pitcher. That made no sense to me. They did trade for Diego Castillo. Uh, Castillo, the relief pitcher from Tampa. They just, what did they do? The, the Mariners did really nothing at the trade deadline of note. They didn't get any big players. I don't know why. I just, I don't know. I hate the Mariners so much with a passion. Uh, my hometown team growing up, I'll never forgive them for the way they pained me as a child. Uh, the Blue Jays traded for Jose Barrios, a starting pitcher from the Minnesota Twins. Uh, they also traded for Brad Hand, again, the closer from the Washington Nationals. And the Twins traded Nelson Cruz to the Tampa Bay Rays. The Rays right now are first in the AL East. Oh, also, third baseman Eduardo Escobar got traded from the Diamondbacks to the Brewers. So, uh, right now, the AL East. Tampa leads. The Yankees are close behind in third. Uh, Sorry. Tampa Bay leads the AL East. Then you have the Red Sox in second. They're like a game back behind Tampa. Then the Yankees are six games back. They are probably in a wild card conversation. And the Blue Jays are seven games back in the AL East. Keep your eye. If you have one thing in baseball, like, hey, I'm not a big baseball guy. I need one thing to pay attention to. I literally can't pay attention to anything else. Then every day or every couple days, check in and look at the AL East standings. That's how you follow baseball, I've learned. No one watches every game. No one follows that closely. But you check in. What's going on? How many games back are the Yankees or the Blue Jays? That will be... The narrative to watch as the year comes to a close in Major League Baseball. Okay, uh, we're at the point where I need to really check my notes heavily here. Um, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a short break. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to talk about the Hungarian Grand Prix. We also have one, two, three, four, five, six news items and little stories I want to talk about. And then we will do Ask Zach. I'm going to take a short break. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope we're doing very, very well. Uh, I want to talk about the Hungarian Grand Prix in Formula One. One of the weirdest uh, races I've ever seen in Formula One. Weird because, for well, for many obvious reasons. First of all, in lap one, Valtteri Bottas, a Mercedes driver, uh, crashed. He took out both Red Bulls. Uh, the session got stopped. Max Verstappen's car for Red Bull was incredibly damaged. 
Uh, here, one, two, three, four, five, six drivers did not finish the race. Lando Norris, Sergio Perez, Lance Stroll, Charles Leclerc, Vatry Botas himself, and, of course, Mazaspin. What's it? Nikita Mazapin? That's his actual name? I hate that guy. Um, just, ah, oh, what a weird race. So, ah, uh, how do we, where do I even begin here? First of all, there was light rain early on in the race. They read... They they red flagged the session. They stopped it for a while. Everyone had to restart. They tried to like literally rebuild Max Verstappen's car. He had no downforce. Could barely pass Mick Schumacher. Literally it took him like thirty freaking laps to pass Mick Schumacher. And kind of one of the weirdest parts of this race is that you know Lewis Hamilton was in first going into the race restart. Uh, so they did a formation lap, and Lewis Hamilton goes to the start because he's in first, and every other driver went into pit lane to change their tires because they realized the track is way drier than we thought. So that put Lewis Hamilton at a massive disadvantage. He had to go all the way around the track before he could pit. He put on new tires. That put Lewis Hamilton in last place in the race. He was in 14th position. Max Verstappen was in 12th. Now, Max, sorry, Lewis Hamilton, it was really, my favorite part of this race was that Lewis Hamilton just drove through the whole pack, slowly passing people overtake after overtake after overtake. Ended up getting, well, third place, then second. Here's another reason why this race was incredibly weird. And I'm not going to make this into a full breakout. Just going to make it part of the podcast. You know, Sebastian Vettel got second place in this race and got disqualified. I'm going to read you the reason. It's, it's the weirdest reason I've ever heard for a disqualification. Basically, uh, the race stewards were unable to take the required amount of fuel for sampling following the race. So they needed... One liter, they only got 0.3 liters from his car. And it sounds unbelievable. They actually impounded his car because Aston Martin is uh, challenging and appealing what happened. They're saying, hey, there's still, like, should be over a liter of fuel in the car through the all of the pipes and all of the, the systems. So it should be possible to get that much fuel out. They're, they're furious. And I... I, I thought maybe it'd be resolved by now, but remember, Formula One is on hiatus. They have a break. The next race isn't until August 29th because they're on summer break. So I don't know when it's going to get resolved. I, I, I thought that Sebastian Vettel should have legitimately gotten second in the race. I, it seems like a weird BS nonsensical reason to take that away from him. Uh, and it's just, just very weird. Now, I want to talk about Esteban Ocon because Esteban Ocon got, second, or got first place in the race Partially because everybody crashed, partially because when that happened, he took over, and Lewis had to go to the back of the pack, and he held on. And there are two heroes in all of this. Number one is Esteban Ocon's parents. Uh, he comes from humble beginnings. His dad had a small garage growing up. Esteban Ocon's parents sold their house and lived in a caravan to help support his dream of being a race car driver. And I think he was even out of F1 for a while. Esteban Ocon is a guy who, yeah, he was like the Mercedes reserve driver. So he's a guy who, unlike many people in Formula One, did not grow up with a silver spoon in his mouth, had a really hard road to becoming a Formula One driver, even like lost his seat for a while and was unappreciated. So it's cool to see him, a French driver with a French engine in a French on a French team, win a Formula One race. Very cool story to see that. Now, the unsung hero when he won is that later in the race, Fernando Alonso, Lap after lap after lap was defending against Lewis Hamilton and would not allow him to pass. It was brilliant driving. And it made me wonder, like, if Fernando Alonso can get a great car and not even wonder, it pretty much confirmed, oh, Fernando Alonso 
could win a world title still if he got a great car. And I, I'm like, man, I, that's a fun, wild thought. So it, Alpine is growing, getting better. Um, without Fernando Alonso defending Lewis Hamilton for like, it felt like 15 laps, making it really difficult for Lewis Hamilton to pass him. It's almost, it's almost a fact that Lewis Hamilton would have eventually caught up to Esteban Ocon and won the race. Instead, he defended the victory for Alpine, and they won because of Fernando Alonso's heroic effort defending against Lewis Hamilton. Uh, Max, it's just a weird. It's so hard. Like this is a weird race because Sergio Perez got taken out. Max Verstappen got damaged. Another incident again. Second race in a row, not his fault. He only got two points on the race because he got ninth place. Uh, right now in Formula 1, Lewis Hamilton leads Formula 1 with a driver standing. He's 195 points. Max Verstappen has 187. Mercedes leads Red Bull 303 points to 291. So this race between Ferrari, sorry, what am I saying? Between Mercedes and Red Bull is closer and tighter than ever before. And I, I just... I hope that Red Bull's bad luck doesn't continue because the last two weeks in a row, they've got absolutely screwed over. It's it's horrendous what's happened to them two weeks in a row now. Uh, Ferrari and McLaren right now are tied both with 163 points, tied for third in Formula 1. That's an interesting um, battle right now in F1. Uh, Carlos Sainz got third in the race. Uh, Fernando Alonso got fourth. Just I, There's not a lot to say here other than I, I really would like to see things figured out for uh, whatever is going to be the outcome of the Sebastian Vettel appeal. The next race is August 29th in Belgium. I, I'm kind of grateful. I, I'm in the middle of moving. I need a little bit of a break. I, I just, I really, I, I, in fact, I know for a fact there are really good videos out there covering, I, I haven't watched them, but I see the titles on YouTube. I don't click on them. I'm busy. Uh, but even if, like, even if you Google Sebastian Vettel, a bunch of videos come up. So the, I, I would encourage anybody who's curious, go look up whatever videos you can find about Sebastian Vettel's appeal and the fuel problem. It's it's very weird, and it felt very trivial. And I felt like the FIA kind of targeted him for God knows what reason. Uh, there's a political reason. I'm not even going to go into it. It's I don't know. But it, it just was very, very bizarre and very, very weird. Uh, I want to look through my notes, see if there's anything else worth mentioning. I think that's pretty much it, man. Uh, I, I, I've been slammed moving. It was just a hard race to to cover because of so much... Uncertainty. I thought maybe if I waited a day or two, then the Sebastian Vettel... I've been busy too, but I thought maybe the Sebastian Vettel appeal would get wrapped up. It doesn't appear that's going to happen anytime soon. Um, and it, it is worth mentioning, Mercedes cost them first place because they did not switch their... You know, There was a moment where Lewis Hamilton during formation lap could not get radio orders, and he did not go into the pit lane himself. Everyone else went into pit lane... He didn't want to risk losing his first place spot, so he didn't, and had to do the restart on wet with wets uh, instead of slicks for the race. And so, um, I don't know, man. I, I'm really, I just this race. I felt for Red Bull here; they got screwed over. Um, man, so, uh, Valtteri Bottas is the teammate of the year, but also I, I really firmly believe more now than ever that George Russell is going to eventually replace Valtteri Bottas as the F1 driver for Mercedes. It's just every little news story I see, it's like, come on, it's so obvious. I don't know why they won't announce it. But if Mercedes was planning on keeping Valtteri Botas, they would have already announced that by now. The fact that they haven't is incredibly telling, so it's just interesting to me. Uh, I want to shift gears now to a couple other things in the sports world. Stories and stuff going on. Uh, let me just say the Olympics are going on. 
I couldn't care less about the Olympics. I don't. I I haven't really watched them at all. I don't care. It's weird. There's no fans. I it's like I don't care about pole vault and what's the one like shot like shot put isn't compelling to me at all. Uh, some of the racing like running you know running races are interesting stuff like that. Uh, here is the one thing that blows me away about the Olympics though. Like my my token topic about the Olympics for whatever it's worth. Um, it's the fact that it only happens every four or five years, you know, five years because of COVID this year. Imagine, you know, Tom Brady loses the Super Bowl. He gets another shot next year. If you lose a, if you miss out on getting gold in the Olympics, it's four more years of your life until you get another shot. A year goes by, a year goes by quickly. Four years does not training preparation your body gets way older it's just an unbelievable feat these olympic athletes man that that in of itself blew me away i just couldn't i i see that and i'm like i i can't even imagine like what's the appeal i guess money and whatever i i just would not want to be an olympic athlete if i had any kind of physical prowess which i i mean i'm, I'm, I'm slightly like slippery on like a flag football field but I, i'm certainly not an olympic athlete if i was an olympic athlete i'd be like can i be, join a real sport where i can make more money and play more consistently and not dedicate four years to all this thing and maybe it just seems brutal the, the, the olympics man are just a brutal brutal reality um i want to shift gears to justin fields the bears quarterback uh scott morrow is a guy who got shot in chicago and he said at some point i think it was actually on a radio interview i i wish it was like as he was in the the I, I wish he'd said this like during the he, he didn't obviously there's no like camera crews in the ambulance of them but basically he talked about how when he got shot he, he kind of one of his feelings was I can't die before seeing Justin Fields play quarterback for the Chicago Bears and Justin Fields and his family actually went found this guy Scott Morrow gave him a jersey hung out with him for a little while just a very cool touching thing that Justin Fields found the story tracked the guy down met with him shook his hand very I just that's a heartwarming cool story in of itself. Uh, another cool story is that uh, David Blow, the quarterback for the Detroit Lions, one of them anyway, uh, his wife, Melissa Gonzalez, is an Olympic hurdler uh, running for Columbia. She runs the 400-meter hurdles, which if you know anything about track and field, 400-meter anything is incredible. 400-meter hurdles, unbelievably difficult. So she set a Columbia national record. There's a really cool video of him going ballistic at the Detroit Lions facility while she's running in the Olympics. Very, very cool. They did like a little watch party for him. Um, Melissa Gonzalez, David Blow's wife. David Blau went to Purdue, plays quarterback for Detroit and the Lions. Um, their childhood sweethearts from Texas. Just kind of a fun, another heartwarming story worth mentioning. Uh, another thing we're talking about is that Horns Down has been banned. So if you if you watch Big 12 football, everyone, you know, hook them. Hook them horns is like the thing that Texas football does. And everyone that hates Texas puts it down horns down that got banned the big 12 announced before they fell apart because texas announced they were leaving this is old news now said we're going to penalize this really heavily got to be very careful i just i hate this part of college football i don't know why you can't use hand signals and celebrate it just it's entertainment why can't we own that it's entertainment let guys be who they are it's stupid annoying i think actually even i would even argue like horns down is a sign of respect because it's it acknowledges what Texas as an entity is. And when you do horns down, it's you hate them so much that you are acknowledging that I just, to me, it's, it's a sign of respect. I just, I, it's frustrating. It's, I, I just hate this side of college football when things like this get blown out of proportion and 
are not allowed to continue and you can't celebrate. You can't have fun. It's so stupid. And I just, I hate this part of college football. Uh, now, another thing I want to talk, I'm, I know I'm blowing through stuff really quickly, but I guess it's better than lingering too long on stuff. Buccaneers are giving, uh, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are giving Todd Bowles, their defensive coordinator, a new three-year contract that continues to make him the highest paid defensive coordinator in the NFL. Um, and it, it, he still can go take a head coaching job if he wants to, but this is definitely, they're trying to give him incentive to stay. We're winning. We won a Super Bowl last year. You're high paid. And it's just really cool to see a team reward a guy who's done such a good job and taking care of him. Like too often, I feel like coordinators are, are not appreciated for what they really are. They're not allowed to, they're not given any incentive to want to stay. Most guys leave to be a head coach because they get more notoriety, more money, and I'm just if guys are doing a good job, pay the coach, give him a reason to stay. And I really like what the Buccaneers are doing. Everything they're doing right now, it's hard not to believe the Tampa Bay Buccaneers could win another Super Bowl again this year. And just I want to say it's crazy. Tom Brady was given a two-year contract by Tampa, and everyone was kind of like, "We'll see." A lot of people thought he's washed up, and I thought maybe it would take him two years to win a Super Bowl. He did it in one. And now we're talking about could Tom Brady play four more years? Like literally, like what if they win another Super Bowl this year or even have a deep playoff run? It's not like it's going to end anytime soon. And Tom Brady, I asked, let me let me rephrase this. Peyton Manning played until he literally was gimpy and could barely throw the football and won a Super Bowl, barely able to throw a football. Remember when Peyton Manning did that? Tom Brady feels like he's years away from deteriorating so far that he can barely throw a football the way Peyton Manning was at the end of his career. So in theory, if Brady plays until he's as capable as Peyton Manning was, as, as kind of uncapable as Peyton Manning was when he retired, Brady could play, it seems like, for like six more years. That's just unbelievable. And I uh, keep your eye on Tom Brady. I just, I, I really want to see, like, it just, we, it's not even like a story to follow. It's just like, how long is this dude going to play? It, it's unbelievable to me. And I think he's going to play at a really high level this year. Remember, he, he played all year last year with a hurt knee. So the Buccaneers could be really good again this year. Uh, final kind of news story. Uh, so apparently a full-team brawl at the New York Giants camp happened uh, with somehow Daniel Jones, the starting quarterback for the Giants, at the bottom of a pile of a massive fight at the New York Giants uh, training camp. And Joe Judge, the Giants head coach, was furious. And then he did something that you really only see in high school football where he said... Everyone on the line, we're going to run. And he had guys doing 100-yard sprints. And, and by the way, not hard enough for, at, at, you know, Joe Judge was still angry. This isn't good enough, not a, not a penance. And so they were lined up on the goal line doing push-ups. And there was dead silence, and Joe Judge was whistling angrily, screaming all kinds of cuss words at them. And uh, it's, we, we've heard Kelvin Benjamin talk about how Joe Judge is hard to work with and I guess my point is so there's another story worth mentioning uh Joe Looney a nine-year NFL veteran and Todd Davis a seven-year NFL veteran retired really shortly after that event in training camp they're like we're not running we're not doing push-ups and so it's I don't here's what I want to say a lot it's polarizing it could mean nothing it could mean something I don't know I know the, the the people I know in the NFL are grateful the NFL isn't run the same way high school football is. 
They they want to save their body. They don't want to be punished. They don't want to be yelling. And Joe Judge doesn't care. And I kind of like it. Joe Judge has been very open about who he is. He he doesn't care. He's doing his thing his own way. And it's going to work or it's not. And I don't want to make a strong statement. It's going to fail. It's going to – I don't know. But what I like about Joe Judge is he's very honest about who he is. And if you're not his type of guy, you're not going to play for me in New York. And Joe Judge is going to die on this hill. I'm going to be tough and mean and our team is going to be tough and gritty and it's my way or the highway. I don't know if it's going to work long term or not. I would imagine it might wear people out. But I don't know. It's just an interesting – and now if you have your quarterback at the bottom of a pile, that's unacceptable. It cannot happen. So Joe Judge is livid. He's going to run his ship his way. And he certainly doesn't care what anybody thinks. And it's just an, – I don't, I don't know what to make of all this, but it is just worth reporting on. Like, hey, this happened. An NFL team had to, run, had to run 100-yard sprints and do push-ups to appease their coach. I've never heard of that in my entire life. He's not any times recently. Uh, and it's, it's a throwback. It's very different. Reminds you of high school football. Not everybody's going to like it. Joe, doesn't, Joe Judge doesn't care that not everybody's going to like it. He's kind of a hard ass. And it's you either get in or you get out. And I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what plays out with Joe Judge. I tend to like it. Um, he makes no secret of who he is. And uh, it, it could backfire on him. But it just I don't even have really an opinion other than to say, like, that happened. Huh. Interesting. Keep your eye on that. Uh, it's a developing story in New York with the Giants. Okay. Uh, let's shift gears to Ask Zach. It's time for Ask Zach, my favorite part of the show. Uh, it's where I answer questions from the audience. In case you do not know how it works, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. You give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want to. Please do. It literally helps pay my rent. Uh, and God knows I could use it right now. Uh, I, I just want to say thank you. By the way, if you if you end up leaving Patreon, uh, feel free to tell me why. I'd love to know. Some people, they, they leave the Patreon and they don't do an exit survey. They don't let me know. They don't say like, hey, here's why I'm leaving and maybe it's if it's financial, I, I, I don't. It just I would be interested. If anyone's like mad at me and that's why they're leaving Patreon, feel free to let me know. I'm curious. Uh, now, a dollar a month gives you access to submit, to submit questions on Patreon. Uh, I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. My only guarantee is to look at every single question with my eyeballs. I pick the top couple and read them on the show. Question number one today. We got a couple. Uh, by the way, I'm not putting anything on the screen on YouTube today. I- I'm short on time. I got to get production out. I have an hour and a half before I have to be done posting this episode. So give me – and literally, and that's from time of recording. So I literally have to get out, get it edited. There's going to be no – usually on YouTube, I post like a screenshot or like a picture of the question. I'm not going to do that here. Um, Menko writes in – I really love this question. Menko, first question today, says, Hi, Zach. Is it worth leaving a job you don't enjoy – but brings you financial stability and job security for a job in your dream career with no guarantee of long-term employment and a lower wage where you may need to work seven days a week. I really want this new job, but the logical voice in my head says it's too risky, even though I know my current job is wasting time. So, Menko, I can't exactly – I can't tell you what to do. I can tell you what I would do. Is that is that fair? Um, and, and I think it's important for you to ask yourself, what are you going to regret more? Are you going to regret when you're 50 years old and you look back on your life? Are you going to regret leaving stability? Or are you going to regret the time that you didn't go for it and chase your dream? Chasing your dream is always harder. It's I slept under my desk for years doing this show. Uh, moving to Hawaii 
is a dream of mine that's fucking hard to achieve. And I don't even mean financially. Like, that's money has been, uh, it's been really tight, but it's not like once I'm there, my day, my month to month bills are actually lower than they are here. So, that, so once the moving is paid for, that'll be great. But logistically, it's been crazy. Saying goodbye to your family has been crazy. Trying to do moving as one job and also make my show two jobs at once, been impossible. Any dream chasing is tough. And I just, do you have a burning fire in your heart? I don't know. I, I don't know you personally, but I would know that I can speak from my experience. All of the best things I've ever done in my life were times where I jumped off that cliff. I, I went for it. I took a risk. Taking risks has paid off for me tremendously. I've had, I've had, I've taken some risks that failed and they crashed and they burned. I went to LA. It didn't work. Uh, but I also wasn't that like I didn't. I, I left LA with lessons rather than pain. If that makes sense. Uh, like, it, so let me ask you: if you if you chase your dream and you fail, what's the worst that can happen? You learn from it. You, you I, I would think for me, it, it's like, well, if I fail, well, hey, I I learned a good lesson. There's a lot of stable jobs out there. There's a lot of jobs like being a mailman, being a trade. I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't know where I'm going with this. I would say life is very, very short. And you have to ask yourself, how important is it to you to have a career you like? For me, it's everything. I spend the majority of my life working. I refuse to do a job I don't like. I, fuck that. No way. I'm not doing that. I guess I'm going to cuss the whole episode. I don't really care. Um, so Menko, I, I can't answer for you, but I know you have to ask yourself, if, if I were you, I would ask myself, what am I going to regret more when I'm old? And are, are you willing to fail? Are you willing to go for it and have it not work out? Because if, if, if you're not, don't do it because you, you might fail. I, don't, I, I can't tell you you're going to succeed for sure. But um, there's a lot of jobs with job security. Honestly, there really are. There's a lot of like good, stable, boring American jobs that are awful. <laughs> a lot of jobs are boring and awful. Most jobs are not awesome. I, I am one of the I – think, I think the majority of people hate their job. I'm one of the only people I know. I think I might be the only person I know that truly loves my job. That like my dad's another person that loves his job. I as I look as I think about all the people I know, my buddy Max loves his job. My dad loves his job. Everyone else I know in my entire life hates their job. Tom Grossi loves his job, right? Like most people don't like their job. And if you can have a job you enjoy, I dude, I go for it. Because you spend so much of your life working. It's it's everything. It it's think of how much time. It's like a third of your life minimum. For me, it's probably two-thirds of my life is working. Imagine if I hated that time. So just ask yourself, what will you regret more? Will you regret more leaving a job that's got financial stability and job security? Or you would you more regret not taking a jump and not taking a risk and going for it? Uh, risk Going for risks has always paid off for me. Even, even when I failed on paper, I learned from it and I grew and moved on. Um, and are you willing to sacrifice? Like, are you willing to have less money? Are you willing to live in a smaller apartment? Are you willing to whatever, whatever it takes to succeed? If you really are, there's no, I'm not going to answer that. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I refuse to do that. But decide for yourself and think about the things I said. Hope, hope at least gave you something to think about. Then Nick writes in, he says, hey, Zach, love the show. I'm a few episodes behind, so I apologize if this has already been answered. Uh, in the F1 world, there are rumors brewing that George Russell signing with Mercedes for next season will happen. If you were in George Russell's shoes and were offered to back up Lewis Hamilton next season, would you? Why or why not? Thanks so much for looking at this with your eyeballs. Of course, Nick. Hell yeah. 
uh, to drive for Mercedes, to be a part of helping Lewis Hamilton, to learn from him, to see how, what he does every day. Like, th- that's not even a conversation, man. If you can drive for Mercedes and you're George Russell and wait in the wings till he's gone and you can take over as number one driver, I do that in a heartbeat if I'm George Russell. And there's not even really much more to say than that. It's just a no-brainer. Davis writes in, he says, uh, before you leave the Pacific Northwest, are you going to see a surprise? At, are we going to see a surprise at bat for you uh, in the AWA? No, unfortunately. I, I, I was going to go to Seattle. I was planning to go to a Mariners game and then um, do like actually meet up with them in Edmonds, Washington. And unfortunately, I had to max out my credit card. Like I really, the cats have been expensive to move and there's all kinds of stuff going on. So uh, I did decided not to go to the Mariners game. I decided not to go to Seattle. I've been really tight on money. I also don't have my car. And I just said, like, I'm going to, to be clear, like, I think everyone imagines I'm a, I'm a YouTuber, so I must be rich. I'm not, by the way. I probably make less money than I would have if I had a normal job. Uh, and I, I just, I traded happiness for less money, if that makes sense. Uh, and I certainly, my if I had an hourly wage, I'd be making below minimum wage, like hourly, to, to be totally honest. Like, I, the hours I put in and the money I get back for those hours, I feel like I'm not not really well compensated for. So I, I'm just tight on money, man. And I, I, I couldn't pull, I couldn't swing a trip to Seattle. It's just honest. And so, um, yeah, I, I would have loved to, I think someday down the road, if they're still, I don't know how long the AWA is going to go on. There are guys who are graduated and adults and have real jobs. I don't know if they're going to keep doing the AWA forever, but if I ever can, I would love to go do an at bat. And I, I'm curious, I, I was a, not a good batter in baseball growing up, but that's because I was afraid of getting hit by the baseball. Uh, I've since, as an adult, gone to the batting cages many times. I, I can hit a baseball really well now, actually. Um, and I would be curious. Like, I, I think I'd be able to hit a baseball. or I, I'd be able to hit a wiffle ball in the AWA, the American Wiffle Association. In my head, I believe that if I did had an at-bat in the AWA, I could hit the ball. But I don't know. And that'd be fun to find out someday. So that, that that's curious and a fun thought for me. Uh... Will writes in, he says, hey, Zach, how much power or say do you think players should have in the building of a professional sports team? I love this conversation. So um, I talked about this during the Aaron Rodgers segment as well. You have to earn the right relationally to have say in the front office. Most players do not. Very few do. Like only like Hall of Fame level players do. And, you know, respect is given... And that's one thing. But respect and influence are not the same thing. And so Tom Brady has built a really good relationship with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers front office. They allow him to have influence because they like him and because they trust him. But likability matters. If you don't have a good relationship with someone, how can you give them any kind of advice? Have you ever gotten advice from someone who you don't know very well or you don't respect I certainly have, and those people never earned the right to have influence over my life. They start spouting off what I should be doing, and I'm like, fuck you, man. Like, you don't know me, and I don't know you, and I don't really care about your perspective. A lot of people, most people don't seem to understand this. Just because you've had success does not mean people should listen to you. Like, it's just true. Like, you, if you don't earn the—because you have to earn the right relationally— you have to do the work of building a relationship before anybody's going to listen to what you have to say as far as when it comes to like advice and what to do. 
unless if they don't ask for it, like if um, what's a great example? I'm trying to think of an example. There's all kinds of people. Like I have a couple mentors in my life. I call them and say, "Hey, what's up? Like I need your help. What what's your advice?" I sought that out because I've got a good relationship with them and I'm curious. But if someone I didn't know, because it's happened to me before, said, "Hey, hey, I'm I'm blank. Listen to me." I get prickly and I don't want that. You have to earn the right to have influence is my point. And so if you're a quarterback in the NFL or basketball player, whatever, not only like succeeding on the field, being really good gets you respect. And that usually gets shown uh, in form of payment. You get a big contract. Respect and influence. Again, they're vastly different. Go listen to my Aaron Rodgers segment. I'm very proud of that. And influence is built through relationship. Respect is built through on-field success, and they are different, and that matters. And I don't know if I explained it very well, but you, 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 a general manager has to protect their job. It's their job to put the team ahead of everything else and succeed and build a winning roster. And if you're going to tell them what to do, they have to trust you enough to put their job on the line based on your decision making. If they don't trust your decision making, frankly, if you're not cl- like, uh, what's a gr- I'm trying to think of an example. Um, I can't. I, I'm not creative enough. But if someone said, "Hey, make this move," and if you if it fails, you might lose your job. You better trust them a lot, and you better have a good relationship with them. Otherwise, I'm not risking my job for your benefit. I'm risking my job for my benefit and something I believe. If that makes sense. He, Devin Engel, writes in a really hard question. He says, hey, Zach, I feel like you're always the one to ask your interviewees why they love football. But today, I'll be the one to ask, why do you love football? Maybe you've talked about it before, but honestly, I don't remember. As always, I look forward to the next episode. Devin, dang, that's a hard question to answer. Um, There's a lot to say, a lot to unpack. Probably my favorite thing about football is just the storylines. The storylines are great. The strategy, oh, my, that's why I fell in love with football as a kid. I... I remember even my, my, my first real memory of loving strategy was like Yu-Gi-Oh cards, actually, um, where you could chain all these little strategic moves together and find a way to beat your opponent. And football was like the ultimate game of chess where you read a defense, you always make the defense wrong, you're always countering. I loved, loved the, the strategy behind the game of football. We call baseball the thinking man sport. That's so wrong. It's football for sure. The the play design, the strategy, the the alignment, everything. I mean, that's that's truly why I fell in love with football. Uh, I think football. I actually, I was. I, th- I think I, th- I would like to think I was a pretty good leader. I now going back would not want to deal with other human beings. I hate working with other people. I hate um, trying to. Uh, collaborate with people, trying to make plans with people. Like I'm a very big introvert and I would never want to be a quarterback ever again because I wouldn't want to deal with other human beings. On That's it's honest. Like I, I would not want to have to have to lead people. I don't I, I don't want to do that. I, I really don't want to work with other people ever again. I hated working for ESPN. Uh, I was tired of dealing with freshmen when I was a, a quarterback in college. Um so here's the thing, though. Football also, on top of having great storylines, having a ton of strategy and, and fun, like, analytical stuff and all kinds of stuff. Football, maybe the best thing about football, and I, I, I don't know if 
the best thing about football to me is the analogies for life. So I can acknowledge I'm tired, I'm old, I'm cranky. That's true. But football, having to work with other human beings taught me so much. And football, I think more than any other sport, is the greatest analogy for life there possibly is. There's so there, – in fact, I feel like there's almost nothing but life lessons you can learn from football. It's unbelievable how many things and how many things I came across. I Work ethic, uh, people skills, working with people, earning people's respect, earning people's trust, uh, figuring out how to – lead in a way that influences rather than barks at people and, and motivates people. It, I, I learned so much through football about life and how to have interact with other human beings because you have to work together. You cannot have an asshole play quarterback. It doesn't work. And so um, I, I'm going to cuss. I told I gave you a warning, right? I'm, I'm cussing a lot today. Um, I'm tired. I have a headache. Literally. I might even end the show early. I, a headache's getting that bad. I probably just need water. Um, and I'm stressed I'm not answering this w- well enough, but I strategy, the life lessons you can learn, um, the fact that your work ethic is often rewarded in football is really cool to me. Um, but it, it's the lesson like I hope my kids play football because they will learn so much about how to interact with other human beings that in golf, in swimming, you just don't get even in basketball. Like one guy can dominate and one guy can be kind of a jerk and it works. It's really hard to not work with other people well and also succeed in football. It's just it's just not very common. And so uh, I love football for that reason. Hope that answers your question well enough. Uh, last one of the day. It's from Allie. It's really what Allie wrote in is a bunch of fun facts. I'm going to read every single one of them and, and end the show. So Allie, hope you're doing well. Hope you're recovering well. Allie says, Zach, here are some facts for you and your audience. Number one. When President Gerald R. Ford attended the University of Michigan, he played three different positions, center, linebacker, and long snapper for the Wolverines and helped the Wolverines to two undefeated seasons and national titles in 1932 and 1933. He was one of the stars of the team. That's exciting and interesting. Number two, I know this sounds flipping crazy, Zach, but the NFL uses unpopped popcorn seeds to weigh down their penalty flags. I would have never thought that. So when you see a yellow flag thrown, there's popcorn seed in that to make it come back down to earth. Interesting. Uh, number three. This is crazy, too. Wilt Chamberlain never fouled out of a basketball game. Wow. wow. That's, is that true? It's unbelievable. Uh, number four. Until 1936, the jump ball in basketball took place at center court after every made basket. How tedious would that be? You make a shot, and you have to go halt the game, go to center court, throw the ball up in the air. What an awful thought. I'm so glad that does not exist anymore. Number five, on the Apollo 14 mission to the moon, Alan Shepard, who was also the first American in space, hit two golf balls with a six iron. One of these balls went into a crater and another apparently sailed for miles and miles. Both, of course, are still on the moon. Huh. They took a golf club to the moon. That's kind of fun. Uh, Number six, Liechtenstein has competed for the most. Wow. Okay. Liechtenstein has competed in the most Summer Olympics, 16, without winning any medal. Hello, I just wanted to see if you could pronounce it. I, I can pronounce Liechtenstein. I got that. I know, I know that country. Hell yeah. Uh, number seven. Only 10 other quarterbacks in the NFL have thrown even half as many touchdown passes as Peyton Manning. Yeah, he's a legend. Hall of Famer for sure. In fact, he's getting inducted, I think, like later today. Or no, maybe it's Sunday. 
Number eight, only 11 goalies have scored a goal in the history of the NHL, with the first coming in 1979 and the last in 2013. Huh. By the way, the NFL Hall of Fame game is today. I, f- I thought about that the entire time I was reading. I read the words. I didn't actually process them. The NFL Hall of Fame game is today. It's a preseason game. Nobody who has any meaning will actually play. Uh, I don't care. Maybe Dwayne Haskins will play. I think he's playing in this game. I think it's the Steelers. So uh, I might cover it down the road. I'm moving. I'm not going to watch it till down the road. So don't expect much on that unless Dwayne Haskins does really good or plays a lot and it's interesting. Final two of the day. Number nine. In Theodore Roosevelt's autobiography, he recalled that the White House fight club he created had been shut down after he fought with a young Army artillery captain who countered one of Roosevelt's punches and gave him a permanent eye injury. Huh. I guess that's technically sports because it's fighting. Come on, Allie. Come on. You're doing good. Uh, I didn't know Teddy Roosevelt had a permanent eye injury. I guess I don't know much about history, really. Uh, Final one of the day. I'm, so, by the for the record, I enjoy these. I don't know if other people do. I enjoy the fun facts. I think they're they're, they're fun. I really like truly. Um, it's a lot of stuff I just never would have ever thought of and never heard of, and, and just don't nothing. I know nothing about. Final one of the day. President and Supreme Allied Commander Dwight D. Eisenhower played halfback and linebacker on the football team at West Point. In November of 1912, Eisenhower played in a game against. Carlisle Indian School, whose star was one of the most renowned athletes of all time, Jim Thorpe, who just a few months previously had won the decathlon and pentathlon at the Olympic Games in Stockholm. Eisenhower dreamed of hitting Thorpe hard enough to knock him out of the contest with a hard tackle, and late in the game, he took his best shot only to have Thorpe get up and shake off the hit. Jim Thorpe, uh, if you ever want someone to read about there's got to be a couple books about Jim Thorpe. He's an unbelievable athlete and character in the history of American sports. Uh, really, really cool guy we're lucky to have had. Guys, um, I probably will not talk to you until I, – I, I'm going to be – for the record, I'll be working a lot between moving and watching film and trying to get film analysis stuff done. But I probably will not record or put at least at least put any of that out. Until mid-August. So give me, what, what, what's the date today? The date today is August 5. So like August 15 maybe. That's when you can start expecting the next episode of uh, Strong Opinion Sports. Hopefully with at least three film analysis topics in that episode. Uh, it's been a just a wild off season. Moving has been so hard. It's taken over my entire life. <sighs> man, I'm excited and and really relieved for it to be done. Um, I'm going to end the show here. Truly, 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 I am so grateful for anybody who watches and listens and supports this show. It means a lot to me. Uh, this episode is very raw, very honest, kind of messy, kind of ugly. I just want to say thank you. I love you. I, uh, I, I try to be honest and real. And if I cuss too much... Uh, which is the first time, and I'm actually might have to hit the explicit button on this episode because I, I do cuss a lot in this episode. I apologize. Uh, I love you. I appreciate you. But um, bum, bam, we are done. <laughs>